Hello there, friends and neighbors and fellow humans. We are the other side. I am Cody Byer. I'm Max Vader. I'm Andrew Erickson. And you know what? We are we're always shitting on everything on this damn show because so much sucks. In case we got we got to talk about some good. We got to talk about some good. If just so we don't fucking kill ourselves, we gotta do it. And plus, we're gonna talk about something this week. I say this week like we're still weekly. <laughs> look, look, schedules have been crazy. Okay, get off my fucking back. We're trying our best. Winter didn't happen. It's a myth. <laughs> Well, I might have been in fucking cryo sleep in that winter. Did you get that cold snap? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, I'm surprised I lived. Leanne's like, probably calling me a bitch because it's even colder where she is. One day's like, like, oh, I'm going to... 10 degrees here. I'm going to wear short sleeves in the next day. Oh, everything's frozen. <laughs> Including the air. I can't even breathe. So, um, before we get on to our subject, we want to tackle a couple things. First of all, who wants some cancer? You all want some cancer before we get to the good stuff? No. <laughs> Apparently, in the newest Pop Team Epic, in the English section, they actually had a fucking anime YouTuber. In the, in the voice, doing a voice. Not like for the dub, no, for the original Japanese broadcast, because the segment's supposed to be in English, and he apparently lives in Japan. And I guess they don't have enough English-speaking people, or he probably was just cheap. Was it Hitler? Close. It was the Anime Man, which yes, I know that is just mm, the most original name Who? for an anime YouTuber. It's the Anime Man. He does like fucking anime videos, and he interviews because pe- he lives in Japan. He interviews people, and he's a muggy douche. Like he's he is so punchable. I hate him. I hate him so. M- I've only recently found out about him, and I just I hate him so much because he's just so insufferable. Like how does how is he still alive? Because I would think that, like, he would just go outside and start talking to people, and they would just murder him. Just a little old lady would just pull out a gun she doesn't even own and just shoot him in the face because she's compelled. Was he the guy you, whose picture you posted once? Well, I, I, I quote tweeted on the uh, AO Twitter because um, he was on a uh, one of those skit things they do on the Viz Media Twitter where it's like, explain a series, spoil a series. Yeah, yeah, the Berserk guy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh, God. Yeah, uh, I want him to die. <laughs> like, I don't know him. I don't know what kind of person he is. I don't care. He, I've never seen a human being that punchable. It's like, I, I don't hate him and want him to die as a person. I hate him and want him to die from, like, an instinctual caveman place in my brain. You know what I mean? Like... Like some whatever is instilled in human beings that that helped us survive from the days of like the primordial ooze, like that those leftover base animal instincts are telling me to kill him. Like that's how punchable he is. It's just like I, I like look, my sapiency doesn't factor into this dude. I can't help it. I, like, I don't get a choice in the matter. Like one of those movie monsters that when it's nearby, the dogs start barking. Yes, that is that is how punchable he is. He's Lovecraftian levels of punchable. Like, the human brain cannot comprehend his punchability. Like, he probably looks different to different people, and they, like, their their minds perceive him as the most punchable image their mind can form. He, like, other people, like, like an abusive redneck sees him as his wife. <laughs> like, uh, a racist black guy sees him as that redneck, you know what I mean? Like, whatever's the most 
punchable thing to you, he he appears as that in your mind. That's the anime man. The anime man in I... yellow. <laughs> Fagster. Like I I I hate him. He I I tried to watch one of his YouTube videos. Not joking. I first I watched it on Hooktube because I'm not giving that fuck a review. Now you kidding? I crapped out like seconds in. He started moving and talking like I'm out. <laughs> nope. I can't. I can't. It's just it's primal. My hatred for the anime man is primal. Also, he has a stupid fucking name. The anime man? Are you fucking with me? <laughs> are you kidding me? You went with that. Fuck, there are anime YouTubers that came before him that didn't go with that because it's too obvious and stupid. The anime man? <laughs> Fuck off. I gotta, I, I, I've gotta, I gotta push our YouTube more because we just kinda use it for shit posting. But, Good God, if this is anime YouTube, no. We've got to save the day, motherfuckers. We, this is our job now. We just made AO to, to hang out and, and post goofy shit and make, make fucking rowdy podcasts. And now it's been, it's, we've been drafted into the skeleton war. It's, it's fucking time. We gotta do some shit. Like, we had to fucking turn into goddamn journalists because of the fucking, anime quote-unquote journalism out there this is this is this is what this is our life now we have to fix this shit you know i was gonna say regarding his name it's not like it's even that out there considering how many other anime youtubers have similar names like anime snob and uh i just can't believe that guy became a thing like i remember when nobody knew about him and we made fun of him on twitter like that bald fucking like what did he watch like how many hours of hentai based Nearly on his my yeah two <laughs> and he's posing with dead pumpkins or whatever it was yeah bald as sh- bald as shit <laughs> what is it he, he said something about him being celibate or something i can't remember but we had a field day with it was years ago it was um it was that feel, something like that feel when no GF or something like that. Yeah, it was like some of that shit that inspired the legendary dating. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's like in his 30s. <laughs> and bald. <laughs> I love it. I, I guess, I guess that's why he's not in Pop Team Epic. They rejected his bald because he wasn't bald enough. Which is Which bullshit. Is bullshit. He's... <laughs> yeah, bald you as <laughs> One of us had to go for it. (laughs) What I find even funnier, just as a side note, is... Like, those 2,000 hours that's on this weird anime site where it has some sort of tracking thing you can use just to show everyone how much anime you watched and how many series you've watched to completion or how many episodes you've watched of each series and so on. So this isn't even... This is probably not even everything that he's watched. And of course, it also doesn't account for multiple viewings. This is just the absolute minimum of what he has ever watched, (laughs) variety-wise. There might be shows that aren't listed on that website that he has also watched. And besides, this number was taken years ago. It is probably higher now. Have you ever seen one of his videos? I have not, because I have taste. The, the autism is nuclear with this guy. Like, I'm not even joking. He's got, like, a lispy voice, and he doesn't know what to do with his hands, so he keeps emoting with them. 
and it's so weird to watch him. It, it, it like I just you just can't stop laughing, but at the same time, you like you feel like you shouldn't be laughing. Like he does, he's got like you know what? God hates him. That I, that I, that is the proof of the existence of a deity, and he has a malevolent side. Because there are some people God just fucking hates. His there are some people that come into this world. God looks down from whatever plane of existence he's on. He looks like that guy. Nah, fuck that guy. His nah, avatar is a guy in a top hat. <laughs> like he, he fucking, <laughs> he's bald in his thirties with a lisp, is autism, uh, an awful personality. He's got like a heightened ego. Like, how do you have a heightened ego when you're a lispy, bald, autistic dude with no girlfriend jacking off to thousands and thousands of hours of hentai? Also pretentious. Yeah, you you don't get to have an ego when that's and then, you. There's this absolute shit taste because I just remembered while I haven't watched any of his videos because I can't stand his voice. I'm sorry. While I haven't watched any of his videos. If only people had my superior taste in anime. Well, if you'll excuse me, I will, I'm going to fan myself with my crazy hands. And then I'm going to try to emulate the nostalgia critic if the nostalgia critic talked like a gay stereotype and looked like a potato. Okay, Lotsa. <laughs> Lotsa has more fucking testosterone than I, I can't wait. Lotsa! Until, I, I can't wait until the, the fucking anime snob does a music video with himself and a top hat <laughs> where he imitates a My Little Pony song. Lotsa has better genes than the anime snob. The anime snob is what happens. Fuck what Metal Gear Solid says. That's what happens when a human being is made entirely out of recessive genes. <laughs> That's what they turn into. All the weak genes nature wanted to die. All came together and made that guy. But yeah, I never watched any of his videos, but I did read his written reviews. And they were quite amazing. My favorite one is the one where he reviews One Punch Man. And he says that it's bad, and he compares it with some other show about a superhero I've never heard of. It's like some obscure anime apparently but yeah it's about some superhero that's a total dickhead to everyone and apparently that one's much better and funnier because so much better and funnier you can't even remember the name yeah because this is this is the best reason brace yourself for this one man see saitama is terrible because unlike the main character in that other show i can't remember He's a virgin and doesn't have a girlfriend. Oh, right. Yeah, he wanted Saitama to be his fucking... Oh, yeah, we were talking about that, because like, this guy, with all the shows he likes, he clearly like wants to project himself into the main character and live you know, the life he can't live, because yeah, like, as, we, like, as we've established, he's made enti- he is a golem made entirely of recessive genes. Um, golem, however you say it. Uh, he's a recessive genes golem. So he, so he wants like all the characters in his shows to, you know, get a girl, because this dude can't get a girl. So he wants to get a girl through the main character of these shows. And since Saitama has no love interest, it just sort of like, like his loneliness is like a tumor, and these shows are his chemotherapy. <laughs> so, so he's not getting his chemo when he watches One Punch Man. He needs the healing anime. <laughs> They're gonna get off my power. <laughs> oh fuck man Anime this, this is this is why Overlord is terrible because Eins doesn't have a girlfriend because <laughs> he literally can't 
Yeah. And we're gonna get into, we're gonna get into that. I'm um, just picturing is there, is there any... some guy watching One Punch Man and just getting increasingly angrier and occasionally shouting at the screen. Why is nobody fucking Tatsumaki? <laughs> <laughs> Her ass is right there. Uh, was there any other house cleaning we had to do before we start the the topic of the show? I, I don't remember. Uh, Crunchyroll Awards. Oh yeah, we did. We we recently posted a video on that uh, made yes. by uh, Historic Collector, who I'm pretty. I, I'm just about to like fucking draft into our research team at this point. Draft um, into the skeleton war. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that video was had... funny. <laughs> oh, the video is fucking great. Uh, gonna, Why we're, are we should... here just to suffer? <laughs> we got we got a link it in the comments. <laughs> um, which or I mean the show description. So yeah. Max, you're on that. Uh, the Crunchyroll had their anime awards, and it's fucking adorable because they really, 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 really want to make the Weeb Oscars, and it's just not working. <laughs> They're trying so hard to make this thing like an industry event. <laughs> the only people that give a shit are the dumb twelve-year-olds that actually have their parents pay for a Crunchyroll subscription. And the winner is child molestation. Yeah, Made in Abyss won uh, Best Anime, which is just, I I had such a good laugh because of all the implications. Because these things are voted by Crunchyroll's user base, and Crunchyroll's user base are the people that, uh, hold on, because I just remembered it and it made me laugh, so I just stopped for a sec. <laughs> Crunchyroll's user base are the people who, who were wondering why there wasn't no Japanese dub of Ruby. <laughs> When Ruby was first coming out? Why is this show in English? Reminds me of the people that wanted to watch the Japanese dub of Avatar. Yeah, like, for uh, I think some some people might be confused why that's so funny. Because Ruby's out in Japan now, it has a Japanese dub. Didn't always. <laughs> Wasn't always out in Japan. It was, I think, only, like, recent years it went up over there. No, this was, like... Early in Ruby's lifespan, when it was on Crunchyroll, yeah. and uh, people, people in there were asking where the Japanese dub was. Now this makes perfect sense if you're an idiot and therefore assume that everything with a vaguely anime aesthetic must be Japanese. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you're an idiot. You're watching Ruby and you're on Crunchyroll. <laughs> like, holy shit. If you're watching Ruby and you're doing it on Crunchyroll, why didn't your parents just get an abortion? What's wrong with them? <laughs> I only watch Ruby in the original Swahili. <laughs> like, that's an extra level of bad parenting. You had that kid. I only watch Ruby in Ugandan. <laughs> we can't make that reference anymore. That meme is dead. I can't continue the joke. I was going to continue the joke, but no, it's too late. It's too late. R.I.P. All uh, I'm saying is that if all the characters were just doing tongue clicks, it would still be better. This <laughs> be an improvement. <laughs> Everything anyway, we could say about Ruby either already said or was later said better than us by uh, Odd Guy from Encyclopedia Dramatica. He had a video on it. It was pretty good. Oh, also, um, um, people who watch Ruby should be spit on. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I made the reference. <laughs> Ruby's so fucking bad. Uh... 
But yeah, the anime awards was just hilarious, and they were all throwing around Toblerones. You know that was Miles is doing. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, they were like throwing around Toblerones. Did you know Would- Miles is weirdly obsessed with Neo Yogio? <laughs> Which is hilarious because he cocked himself out of his own seat. <laughs> so, oh, uh, God. Oh, yeah, my favorite thing about the Crunchyroll Awards was both in our joke video and in the shit posts on the AO Twitter, you didn't have to exaggerate anything considering the facial expressions of these people. <laughs> they really did look like they did not want to be there. Well, that's what you get for fucking being Crunchyroll shills, you fucking assholes. Also, was that like fucking Ian Miles Chong on stage or some shit? No, no, that was that pro ZD guy that uh, makes the uh, the little clips where he does voices. It's like it's like this is what it's like when you're doing a thing in a video game. Whatever. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Those rice burning motherfuckers all look the same to me. So. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know, you guys does funny videos. That was a guy. joke. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna think he's real. It's real, right? All racist remarks are real. Everything is is. I take everything at face value. I don't have a disorder. Um, uh, you know, it's the guy that oh, I make. He makes the funny videos. I'll subscribe to his channel and get the funny videos when they come out. Why am I getting Antifa shit retweeted at me? Oh, yeah, he's that type of asshole. Oh no, he's retarded. <laughs> Um, I think he'd probably be wary of retweeting Antifa shit now because of, you know all the bad press they've gotten. It might make him look bad, but when it was new, oh, he was behind it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, and all those anime YouTubers, and I don't know why anybody watches them. I truly don't. I'm I, I'm honestly I'm saying this now. You know, I'm putting away the shit fling for a second. I'm being I'm being straight. I'm being real. Let me rap with the kids. I really don't know why what's wrong with you people. For real. I don't know why anybody any of you are watching these people. Are you so obsessed with anime that when you're done watching anime, you need to watch videos of people talking about anime and this is you just go to these people because that's all you have for that? Because the none of these people have any charisma. They're not entertaining. They're not insightful. They're not funny when they're trying to be. There's there's no value to any of these people. As content creators, entertainers, and some of them as people. There's no, they have no value. And yet, people watch them. I, I, I understand Logan Paul's appeal more than I understand these people. I mean, even if you look at it from the perspective of someone who would, uh, who would then respond, well, you guys have no value and aren't funny or talented or anything. Even if you look at it from that perspective, like all these anime YouTuber people, they're also all interchangeable. Like, it doesn't matter which one of them you watch, it's all the same shit, unless it's, like, maybe fucking anime snob, in which case you get pretentious contrarianism, instead of just, hey guys, this anime I just watched, and let me give you the fucking recap and break by breakdown and fucking scene by scene, and oh my god, isn't this so great? Fucking or, made in abyss, oh my god, I'm gonna come. Or, uh, you can watch Digibro and get that plus depression. And that's alcoholism. not even a joke. Yeah, well, yeah, that's where the alcoholism comes from. He's a sad motherfucker. <laughs> looks like a fucking homeless drifted drifter rapist. <laughs> I swear to God, Digibro looks like someone would a crying woman would finger him in a lineup, and they caught him like crossing the state line in a ratty jacket. Like that Did- motherfucker. That motherfucker looks like some woman woke up on a truck stop floor with him looming above him, penetrating him in a fucking dirty Silent Bob jacket. <laughs> 
and the first thing you hear was, "Oh shit, you're awake!" Digi Bro looks like the guy that that would molest you at Burning Man. <laughs> Either way, whatever he did, he looks like a guy getting fingered in a lineup and then fingered in a cell. <laughs> Like, you can't tell me that motherfucker don't... That motherfucker don't look like he's ridden the train tracks and <laughs> traumatized a woman or two in the in a fucking late-night restaurant or something. <laughs> but yeah, from what I can tell, there's like three categories of anime tubers on YouTube, if you want to even call them that. There's the uh, typical idiots that overhype everything and just swallow all the bullshit... And make endless analysis videos on every single fucking episode, chapter, minutia, or whatever the fuck of whatever show is coming out. <laughs> the One Piece podcast. <laughs> 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 then there's the absolutely transparent shills, which are paid by Crunchyroll in probably rice crackers or something. <laughs> yeah, these people don't make a lot, which is extra pathetic. Crunchyroll doesn't pay them a ton. Crunchyroll doesn't have a lot of money to pay. Like, these people are, are selling out their integrity for, like, free DVDs and 15 bucks a click. Not not to their video if someone uses their referral link. That's that's what they've sold their metaphorical souls to. That's pathetic. And then, lastly, there's the uh, pretentious douchebags that have to be contrarian. Yeah. I'm sure someone is going to joke, oh, so that's you guys, but that doesn't make any sense because we're not contrarian. Well, we we hate Made in Abyss and Miyazaki. Yeah, that's Stop. true. We we do hate me, uh, Made that in Abyss it, and Miyazaki. That, that makes us contrarian. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go back to fucking sucking off Dragon Ball. <laughs> I don't understand which I did, why... Which I do. I don't care. Fuck you. <laughs> I don't understand why some people are even contrarian because it just makes no sense to me. It's like, oh, hey, this thing is popular. I have to hate it. Why? Because it makes you special. You stand out. But it doesn't make you special. It doesn't even... It's probably just because they think it makes them smart. It's like, oh, there's... Hey, here's a good, here's a good example. Like, One Punch Man, as you know, we really hated that show. And then the manga when that came out because it's so goddamn popular. <laughs> oh, wait, no, we didn't. Because we're not retarded. Well, here's the thing. People have an innate desire to be special. This is like born in everybody. And they find different ways to do it. And there are some people that basically want instant gratification for that feeling of special. That's where you get a lot of uh, identity and social justice shit. Just, oh, if, oh, if I, oh, no, I'm trans now. That Now I'm special. I, everybody has to, oh, my God, you're so brave. I get my backpacks. I get my special status. I'm special. All I had to do was fucking put on lipstick. Uh... So people want that instant gratification for being special. So when, when it, let's say they look outside and see a crowd of people and they're all wearing blue shirts. Well, that guy might not even want to wear a red shirt, but now he saw all that blue shirt people. He wants to stand out and be special amongst the blue shirt people, so he wears a red shirt. For that instant gratification of feeling special, that's what drives a lot of people to become contrarians. Because by saying this now, they stand out. Because those other people, that's just the, that's the, that's the crowd. And their voices get lost in the crowd. They want their voice to stand out and... and, and Separate themselves from the crowd. So and that's they why they're special. individualists. <laughs> no, the word you look for is liberalist. Oh, yeah, right. I forgot the precise stupid term. <laughs> so now that we're done talking about faggots, let's talk about something fantastic, why don't we? Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. One of the reasons we wanted to talk about the show, besides the fact we needed something to talk about, 
Uh, it's this little show that a lot, we, we end up recommending to people a lot, and a lot of people ask what it's about. This show seems pretty popular, but there's still quite a few people that haven't seen it. So we're gonna, we made sort of a primer on it. We're making sort of a, uh, this is why you should watch this motherfucking show. A little show by the name of, uh, Overlord. Which, my god, I have not been this into a new anime IP in... <laughs> I don't know when. Since I was watching fucking anime blocks on Cartoon Network. Since I just found out what Cowboy Bebop was. I've not been this fucking just, I love this franchise, out of something I've never seen before. Like, every time I'm hyped now, it's something I'm already familiar with. Oh shit, new JoJo. Oh shit, new Dragon Ball. It's it's like something that I, even stuff like Space Dandy. Oh shit, from the people that brought you Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> it's like something that's connected to something I already know is good. There's just nothing really coming out that's like, this is just so goddamn new. Just fresh new baby. Just, just birthed from the ground. Springs, tree, grows. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But it's, like, it's been forever since something's been that fresh and new. And this good. There's been new stuff that's like, oh, that was pretty good. I like that. But there hasn't been anything I've seen in a long time that was just... It's just somebody, some creative motherfucker just burst onto the scene and is like, y'all motherfuckers ready for this shit? And just dropped some just gold on us and then we just got a new IP. Not connected to anything, just totally new. Just from some creative some bitch's mind. And that's Overlord. And the crazy thing about it is, it is technically a combination of two of the worst genres of anime. Yeah. Isekai and MMO shows. And harem, technically. Technically, I guess. Elements of harem. But it's satirical about it. The the, the premise is, like, I, I, I can't even get into how this shouldn't work. How this, it's like, it's, it's, it's like if you combine Sword Art Online and, I don't know, No Game, No Life, at least in theory, and that should produce such cancer that it's actually like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> like, if you drew it, if you just drew that crossover, that page would just atomize and just create a mushroom cloud and you'd wipe out, like, a city. Don't draw that picture. But, like, no, this guy took that concept, I guess, and just, it really is a sign of what creativity can do, that you combine MMO and Isekai, and out of this guy's just, his fucking brain, his creative mind, he just birthed something fucking magical. The trick is, he wanted to create that exact kind of crossover, but he watched a bunch of He-Man beforehand and he got the wires crossed. (laughs) The, the, the initial premise, we should get into that, <clears throat> was this, based on a series of web novels, which became light novels, but the anime itself is, is more connected to the light novels. Um, the web novels are actually pretty different than the light novels, because what the author does, first he wrote the web novels, which are for free online, and then he's like, well, I'm going to put them in light novels, well, i got to change them up, because otherwise you just read the shit for free online. So he changed some stuff, added some characters. Albedo does not exist in the web novels. Uh... That means that name means nothing to anybody who doesn't know Overlord yet. Yeah. But uh, just one example: there's entirely new major characters. Uh, so the anime is based on the light novels, and the premise is a guy, one of these fucking virtual reality MMOs from these animes. We've seen a million of them. With this guy, he was in a 
guild with all these other guys, and their the shtick of their guild was in order to be in the guild, you had to your avatar character had to be an inhuman uh, class, so it'd be some kind of monster character, and I love this, you had to be a functioning member of society, no shut-ins, no otaku, <laughs> we could be otaku, but no like hikum- hikikomori's or whatever. Yeah, you had to have a job basically. Yeah, um, no losers. <laughs> Something about that rule feels like a dig. <laughs> it really does. Um, so the main, our main character, Mamonga, we don't, we, I, well, we do know his real name, like in the books and the movies, but in the anime, it, it, it's not stated. Yeah. Um, Besides, so nobody like, cares about his name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's like the last day of the game itself. It's game called Yggdrasil. It was like the biggest MMO. It was a worldwide huge thing. And now it's been going on for like 10, 15 years. The servers are shutting down. The game's going to end. So it's the last night of the servers. And, and the Momonga, he's the guild leader of Einzul Gon, which is like one of the biggest guilds in Yggdrasil. One of the biggest major motherfucking guilds. And we talked about the rules of it. So he's like the last other member of the guild signs out. And he's alone in their, in their sort of guild HQ, the Tomb of Nazarek, which was like a dungeon in the game. And in Yggdrasil, if like one of these major dungeons, if your guild beats it, you get to keep it as your HQ. <clears throat> so he's kind of wandering around and kind of reminiscing. He carries out the the staff that was like their their guild weapon that they poured all this stuff into. And in this game, you could customize stuff. You could make NPCs. You could customize weapons. So this is staff that they put all these artifacts in. It was crazy. And they're like all the members were max level. Like these motherfuckers, like fucking mastered this game. So he's kind of walking around, and he, and he runs into some of the NPCs that, that his uh, guild members made, and he kind of leads them around just one last time to interact with them, has them do stuff, opens up, uh, you know, he's open up some menus and stuff. And then he says, I, uh, okay, well, I'm going to say goodbye to the game. I'm just going to fall asleep here on the device with, you know, fall asleep in the game, let the servers, because the server's going to shut down, and i got to wake up early tomorrow for work, so I'll just go to sleep here and say goodbye. And he goes to sleep. And then he wakes up, and he's still in the game. He's wondering, what, what, what happened? Did, uh, they, they push for the server shutdown for him? And he notices he can't open the menu. There's no menus. And suddenly he looks over, and the NPCs look at him, and the NPCs start talking to him. He's like, what the fuck is going on here? He can't log out. And suddenly he realizes, I mean, not suddenly, it kind of takes him to dawn on him, it's become real. He's become his avatar character. The NPCs in the Tomb of Nazarek are alive now. Like they've always, as if they've always been alive. And he gathers up the floor guardians. There's like the NPCs that they, they, the guild members, they beef these guys up as bosses for their dungeon. These, these floor guardians are also all the level cap, they're level 100. These motherfuckers are gods. And he gathers them all, and they're all fiercely, you see, you notice that they're all like fiercely, fiercely loyal to him. They view him as a god. They call him a supreme being. And then, you know, he starts, he, he can notices like the game mechanics have kind of transferred in his mind. Like, I can, I, I just kind of know how to access my stuff, even though I don't have menus. It just kind of, I kind of feel it. And then, you know, then he has uh, one of the guys look to that side, and the tomb is not where it's supposed to be. It was in like a marsh in the game. Now they're in the middle of like the fucking countryside. It's like, what's going on? And they go out and explore this world. Turns out they've all been transported to some other world, like a medieval fantasy world. But while the stuff from the MMO 
is very much like an MMO, like a Final Fantasy type high fantasy crazy shit. The new world they've been transported to is more like J.R.R. Tolkien type fantasy, like more grounded in his fantasy. There's still some high fantasy stuff, but it's a little more, it's more, it's less anime than the, than the game world. And condensing it here, because we're going to get to the meat of this thing and why it's so great. But basically he then, it's, it snowballs into a campaign to take over the world. Because they're all at the level cap. They're at level 100. In this new world, it, uh, stuff that would be level, let's say, 30 in the game is considered legendary. Like, the ultimate shit these people have ever seen. And our protagonists are level 100. Well, we might be saying, well, what was this? Like, One Punch Man? What can, what can harm him? Well, they're not the first people from this game to show up in this world. Other people, objects, shit from this game manifest in this world before them like it's just at different time periods so this world now has access to the shit from this video game and people other players from this video game have shown up in the past they've been that have also been viewed as gods and shit or legendary warriors or all the history making shit where people played a video game and now it's all real and they're stuck and they brought all those video games. The magic system from the video game is now like the magic they use in this world. They're using the MMO terminology that these players brought into this world. That even the magic from the video game is displacing the natural magics from this world. Like it's actually fucking with the ecosystem almost. So right away, you, anybody listening here just see how already creative this is. Like, it's, it's getting into, it's taking like, oh, I've been taken to another world, I'm stuck in the game, it's combined them in a new and novel way, but like, while we have overpowered protagonists, there are still threats to them out there, and our protagonists have to be smart about it, and sort of put on a lot of masquerades, because if this guy who's a fucking big skeleton overlord just comes out, I'm gonna take over the world, everybody's gonna rise up against him, and he's smart enough to know you can't do it like that. Besides, he do- didn't even mean to take over the world. Well, yeah, first. It's just because uh, because of his underlings, the NPCs, since they revere him so much as a as this amazing deity like figure whose every word is just dripping with wisdom and awesomeness and everything else. Because of a simple offhand comment that he made, where he where he was like in the sky looking at the world down below and. Basically, he said how neat it was, and that he wanted to spread his own name because he had hoped he could maybe find some some other players from his guild. If he spread the the name of Einzel Gaun of the guild, which he then took as his own name in that world, to all the creatures that were there, and uh, one of his floor guardians that was with him, a devil. Then mistook that mistook his intentions. Like, oh, oh my god, he wants to conquer the world. Of course, we got to help him do that immediately. Of course, he then embraces it himself. Yeah, but that's much later after he <laughs> finally finds out that they all thought that. Yeah. Uh, there's so many great things. One of the best things about Overlord are the characters. The writing is fantastic. The characters are they're multi layered. Even when they're based on archetypes. And one of the best things about that is the main cast, the NPCs, they're all, they were all made by different members of this guild that all had their own personalities. So each NPC is sort of reflective of their creator, what the creator was into, what they were like. And these were all geeks. 
So you have what are essentially cool characters created by nerds that are now real transported into an actual medieval fantasy world. And the, the, the denizens of this fantasy world are more, like, grounded in their fantasy sense. So you have, like, uh, Tolkien-esque necromancy wizard guys up against fucking armored battle maids and fucking, uh, like... An, an actual, like, band of berserkian bandit rapists coming across a fucking lowly vampire who murders them with fucking glyph magic. So you have the contrast there of these characters were all created by different kinds of nerds with different kinds of tastes. And each... Also, to be fair, these bandits were gay. <laughs> and so they're all uh, sort of representative. <laughs> all representative of... Uh... Like, the the different creators, like, what they're into. Like, you have Kakaitis, this huge, hulking, multi-armed, bug-monster warrior who's, like, very serious and respectful of a good warrior and all that. Yeah. And, the interesting thing about the NPCs is, like, their personality basically consists of... This consists of two pieces. One is the backstory and everything else with which they have been created that basically their creators gave to them intentionally. The other thing is they also reflect a lot of the, the mannerisms and partially the personality of the people who made them, which is why some of the NPCs have good or bad relationships depending on the people who created them. Right, like Sebus, the head butler, does not get along with Demiurge, one of the floor guardians of the devil guy, because their creators didn't like each other. Yeah. And they don't really understand why they don't get along, they just know that they don't. Yeah, and the concept they were the concepts they were created with were also more or less like diametrically opposed, because the guy that created Sebas was one of the one of the founders of the guild. A guy he was the himself, founder, like yeah, he was, he, yeah, the yeah. big guy. He called himself Touch Me in game, and he had sort of this Super Sentai thing going on, except as a as a holy warrior. And was kind of a goofy guy, but a, but a really likable, nice person. So because of him, like, his saying is, is one that then Sebas has also taken on, which is helping a person in trouble is common sense. And on the flip side, Demiurge, who is a devil, was created by a guy who was a complete and utter edgelord and roleplayed <laughs> as a villain in the game. So when he created Demiarch, he, of course, made him a devil and then gave him this backstory where he's, like, the most evil devil ever who is, like, super cruel and horrible and so on. And what's and, great about that is, of course, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking uh, edgelord metalhead. Uh, this is what I think is cool or whatever, but now he's real. Now that backstory's real. And now Everything... he has real people to play with. Exactly. Now, all that stuff that this dude, this edgelord, typed in a biography because he thought it sounded metal or whatever, now that's a real person doing all that stuff that that edgelord typed in. Yeah. What's even funnier is, like, Demiurg, from the, from the perspective of the residents of Nazareth, is, like, one of the most friendly, helpful people ever. Because, like, anyone that's in Nazareth, he genuinely likes and wants to help. And it's like the kindest, uh, friendliest guy. But anyone outside of that, yeah, they're fucked. <laughs> well, that's another dynamic that's great. Our protagonists are pretty much evil. Our, our main protagonist less so because he was a normal person. And he m remarks that turning into his character has changed him. 
Like he he doesn't view humans the way he used to. Um, but he's still more sympathetic to him because he was one. The NPCs are not. The NPCs are not fond of humans, like, very much at all. Maybe Kakaitis if they're a good warrior, if they're a respectable warrior. Otherwise, no. Reins has to rein them in. <laughs> like, don't go around slaughtering humans. Leave them be. We need those. And he's not even particularly good at it because, um... Well, he doesn't really comprehend how fucking evil Demiurg is, for one thing. Yeah. There's there's this wonderful scene at one point. Where, I think the anime's got to this. Though, I yeah, think where, where Eins has asked uh, Demiurg to give him, to, to, cons- uh, to make parchment for him, you know, for magic scrolls and shit. Since if they just kept relying on the stuff they got from the MMO, eventually they'd have they'd run out. So it's like, okay, Demiurg, you can get me, like, parchment and he's like, yeah, sure. And Demiurge then uh, says, okay, we can here have a, like a steady supply. I've got like this this animal which I can use for that. And Eins asks him, oh, so what would you call that animal? And Demiurge just calls it a abelion sheep. He says, because because this flesh is similar. Yeah. Which Eins then just chalks down to his poor naming sense and just thinks he's being uncreative. <laughs> In the novels, it's made a little bit more obvious because um, even though Ein still doesn't catch it, because Demiurg says that the skin that he harvests from these <clears throat> animals, uh, he calls them sheep from the theocracy. <laughs> so that was just him being funny. This, they they don't like remove. Uh, I, yeah, I think y'all can figure out what what the sheep are, um, but like they don't remove that in the anime. But they're more subtle about it. Like you see Demiurge when when Eins remarks that he's out being parchment. He's by himself, and there's just a tent. He's out in the middle of nowhere, and then later Kakaitis calls Demiurge because they have like a messaging thing with each other. Um, calls him for assistance and like some advice. And we see where Demiurge is, and he's inside that tent. He's playing around with a bone, and you see in the background all these torture and skinning tools. Like it's a horror show inside this tent. And he's holding, like, a femur. It's a, not an animal bone. This is a human femur. And then uh, when Eins is talking to him, it was like, what would you call this animal? And his response says, call it? Ah, I see. Uh, well, let's call it uh, the sheep, because... It, um, so it still has that, like, oh, you're, gi- oh, I see, we're giving it a name. Because Demiurge thinks that Eins knows that it's people. That's shocker. Yeah. Spoiler. He thinks Eins knows, but, oh, let's give them a name so as not to humanize them. <laughs> it will, it'll be more, uh, more proper that way to not call the people we're skinning and making scrolls out of their flesh people. Let's call them sheep. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Demiurge thinks he's doing, whereas Eins yeah. literally thinks he's used, just using sheep. And this is uh, kinda... this is a running thing where the NPCs just describe godlike intelligence to Eins while internally he's just freaking out because he has no idea what's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the, one of the running things, especially between him and Demiurge, where every single time like Eins says something... Demi or Demiurge just says, you know, ah, this this plan of yours is so great and so on, and we're gonna make it like you intended, and I'm trying my best to carry it out. 
and eins is internally constantly what what the fuck plan what is he talking about <laughs> i i don't know what this is because <laughs> demiurge is a genius but he thinks eins is even smarter than him and constantly thinks like his his plans are far inferior and have to be corrected by him <laughs> there was this wonderful bit in the in the novel at one point where the npcs were talking about the the plan of that eins had and so on and uh, Eins thinks thinks to himself, uh, the the plan of Eins all gone. Uh, I've never heard of that before. That sounds quite interesting. I wish I could ask this Eins fellow about it. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's quite amusing. Oh yeah, and in the no- in the novel we also get more information about some of the stuff that Demiurge actually pulls off with the with the people, and I do mean literally pulls off. Yeah, the, because the it's not in. Dem- <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, it's not enough that he's skinning people in order to get parchment from them. No, like, he thinks to himself, like, if you just killed them and took the skin off, then that would be kind of a waste. So instead what he does is he just skins them, and then he uses healing magic so that the skin gets restored, and then he does it all over again. Of course, he doesn't use any painkillers or anything, because, you know, that would be a waste, obviously. (laughs) And he conducts other very interesting experiments... For instance, he wants to know, like, if you, um, if you were to, uh, for instance, cut off someone's arm, right, and then use healing magic to restore it and then feed them that arm, like, does that mean because the healing magic has restored the, the missing arm that the nutrients in the other arm are lost, and so therefore if you just kept feeding them their own arm, would they starve to death? The answer, by the way, is no. <laughs> We know the answer because he's doing it. (laughs) Because his creator wrote, he's the most evil demon. Yeah. And then at one point, there's this conversation between him and like some minor NPC that has the aesthetic of a clown. Where um, Demir talks about the breeding experiments that he's doing. And he's essentially trying to um, trying to overcome the barriers of biology in order to make like, uh, for example, like half human, half goblin children, or like half human, half troll, or whatever the fuck else. Because Demiurg is of the opinion that this is like a, a great favor he's bestowing on the races by allowing everyone to to have like love that can cross the barriers of species and so on. And the the other the other guy is incredibly moved by how how nice he is being. There's this incredible contrast where Eins is going off on adventures with his giant hamster mount Hamski, and meanwhile back at home there's anime Mingala experimenting on people. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everyone else in the fucking Tomb of Nazarick is also super evil to one degree or another. The only even remotely decent person is Sebas. And even he would still instantly kill you if you disrespected Ains. And, and there was a great bit of writing, too. Um, oh, I'm going to get to it later. Oh, we got to introduce the, the, the NPCs. Um, to Demiurge, he's just a treat. He's probably my favorite of the Floor Guardians. Um, <laughs> love his design... His English dub voice is great. Performance is great. His personality is great. Fucking love Demiurge. He's great. Um, also, another one I love, especially after the most recent arc, Kakaitis. Mentioned it before. Man, that fucking Lizard Man fight just. I already kind of like Kakaitis for his design. And he, there were a couple moments where we won, but that fucking Lizard Man fight was just. 
which is fucking great. Um, Kakaitis was made by a guy, and uh, the, the the guild member was like Takemikazuchi, warrior Takemikazuchi or something. Yeah. And uh, fuck, he probably had, of the original Einzel Gone members, he probably had the best design. And considering Kakaitis has one of the best designs, this dude just had an eye for character design. Um, it was like, uh, he was... He was sort of the Leroy Jenkins of the group. Like, let's just go in and just attack. I'm just gonna run in and fucking hit shit with my sword that I've beefed up really hard. He's just that was his thing. Just run in physical attack. Um, he was also he, obsessed with trying to defeat Touch Me and trying to get the forge the ultimate weapon for that purpose. Yeah, but that he, never happened. Yeah, he gave one of them as a parting gift before he logged out the last time. He gave one of them to, to Kakaitis. Yeah. The and, the unfinished prototype. Yeah. And, uh, Kakaitis is, like, this huge multi-arm bug knight thing. Ice bug knight. With, like, this the deep, booming, kind of staccato-ish voice. Um, I, I just fucking love him. Because he, he he's, like, this moral middle ground. He's super loyal. He's not as evil as the other members. He's not as good as, like, Sebus. He's more of a single-minded, like, it's about, it's about warriors and shit. Proud fucking warrior, and there there was a bit at the beginning when uh uh they're discussing uh Ains having children, and just him him gushing at the idea of being Uncle Kakaitis. Uh, but what what really won me over was the whole lizard man arc, which a lot of people don't like the lizard man arc because they're gay. Yeah, and people don't like the lizard man arc are people that just don't like you know good things and fun. Because uh, Kakaitis is put in charge of the first of Nazarik's first war um, to take over the Blizzardmen, and you know we get the whole thing of him developing as a leader and figuring out learning war tactics and shit, and then he's basically tasked with fighting the Lizardmen's strongest people, and it's just this it's this excellent scene because you know the Lizardmen have zero chance they would be like comparatively in the game's terms maybe level fifteen. And he's level 100. Um, but he's, like, so respectful of their attempts and how hard they're fighting. Like, I like the thing where he pulls out that one huge, gigantic fucking katana. And he says, like, straight up, like, you're not strong. I, I, am, I have the ability to wield a weapon in each hand. But you're not strong enough to be able to take that. And it would be disrespectful to you as warriors. To It's like, to go all out would disrespect you because you wouldn't even fucking get to do anything. (laughs) Um, It's hard to convey how much I sort of, how great this guy ended up being just by saying it. Because you kind of need the context of the show. But that scene at the end of the Lizardman arc with him fighting the Lizardman, that one scene just skyrocketed the guy up on my list of fucking favorites in this group. Like, there's something about his character, like, the respect that he has, and, like, the, the, he's, like, a really cool, he'll beat your ass, but he'll show you some mad props while he make, he walks all over you. And I just love the fact that when the guy, when the guy leapt at him doing a fucking war cry, um, he's, like, a, like if you want to do a surprise attack and then cuts him in half, don't scream like a banshee! Which is great because that's a fucking trope that's been around forever, and I just love the fact that he said something. Uh, but yeah, that Kakaitis, I love him. Uh, I love, all the NPCs are great, even the ones that are usually character archetypes. I fucking hate are great characters. 
Because a lot of the times it's with with them boys at TV tropes, they call it lampshading. I'm aiming a lampshade on that shit. It's like it's a more meta take on this character archetype because they were created by nerds who are into this character archetype. So rather than being the archetype, they are sort of the a a uh, let's say platonic conclusion. Is that the word I'm looking for of this archetype? Platonic like, ideal, you mean? Platonic ideal. Thank you. I don't know why I said conclusion. It's kind of late for me. Where it's it's like we have Shaltier. Let's go to Shaltier next. Shaltier, rape master Shaltier. Yes, her creator was a fucking thirsty nerd. Yeah, her creator was a fucking hentai addict. So to she, the point, he literally named his own character Peroronchino, based on the Japanese word. I think it was Pero Pero, like licking. Yeah, like. <laughs> It would be like the English equivalent of, like, fucking fellatio man or something like that. <laughs> fellatio like, pepper. Yeah. Because there's also, like, pepper in it. Yeah, something like that. So, this this dude is a huge pervert. And his sister is also in the guild, and we'll get to her creation. And his sister was a voice actress. And there's a great scene where, where one of the, the, the NPCs remem- have their memories. Because in their mind, they've, like, always been alive. So they have memories of moments from when they were just playing a game. So you have this scene where Momonga is talking to Peroncino, and they are, you know, talking with their normal voice. Because when Momonga, or Ainz, he takes the name Ainz, when he talks out loud, a different voice comes out. Because now he is that character. So he has that lich overlord voice. But in his inner monologue, it's his old nerd voice, his old human voice. So they're talking with their, like, human voices, and he's like, man, I just got the, the H game I've been waiting for is, uh, just came out. I was all ready to beat it raw, but then my sister's in it, man. <laughs> <laughs> and she, like, Shaltier remembers back and relays this conversation back. Cause then there's this great scene where she's talking to the other NPCs. It's like, what is a voice actor? Well, it's a, it's a job the Supreme Beings have. I believe it, it, it entails bestowing a soul into a, into a being <laughs> or something like that. Like, yeah. giving life to a being. <laughs> and the characters view. are impressed because, oh, it's a, such a fitting job for a god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we are so blessed that you have taught us more about the supreme beings. Yeah. I mean, technically, they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it's lovely, because this is basically just video game nerds, but to these NPCs, they're gods, because they yeah. created them. Uh, yeah, it should be mentioned that the the sister... Like, the voice actress specializes in lowly characters, and Peroncino's personal fetish is also for lowly characters. <laughs> which is why Shaltier is a lowly character. Yeah. Um, and Shaltier has, like, ridiculous amount of fetishes. She's referred to as Rape Master Shaltier at a few points. Um, that probably won't be in the anime. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on a limb and say they yeah, probably that, won't that was that. Like a That was sort of like a what-if story. Yeah, it was like a non-canon alternate ending. Um, she really but, does do that, though. Yeah, uh, they they do mention like like it was in the anime recently. It's like how how kinky did you make this chick? Um, Shaltier's not super lowly lowly though. It's not like cre- weird creepy toddler thing. It's more like I don't know. What would you say? She's like fourteen looking, somewhere in there. Oh. Um, it's kind of like it's a lowly fetish, but it's not like eh. <laughs> like it doesn't go that far. Um. And she has a thing where she keeps stuffing her, her top because uh, she's self-conscious about her small tits. So she can't be that young if she would think she'd have tits. 
Uh, but she's like a total freak. Total, total fucking freak. And she is madly in love with Ainz because he's undead, she's undead, and he's massively powerful, and that gets her wet. Literally. I mean, it's not me using a euphemism. It happens in like the first or second episode. She has a panty emergency from his very presence. She has a necrophilia fetish. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of that's course. That's not a joke getting... either. That's yeah. that's actually true. She's got like every fucking fetish. Um, Ainz at one point tries to punish her because he, he's trying to think of a punishment for uh, when she gets mind control and then she has to fight her and, and she's feeling all this guilt about it. And suggested, like, well, if you punish her, her guilt will go away because she's felt like she's been punished for it. So he, he, he thinks of a punishment on the spot for her because they make a throne for him when he's going to this thing. Yeah. Demiurge made, made it. Demiurge, of course. Demiurge made him a throne out of fucking bones that he says is made from animals, but Eins is like, those are human skulls. This is made from people. I'm not sitting on that. So he's like, oh, I got it. This is, we'll do Shaltier's punishment now. Get on your hands and knees. And he sits on her like a chair. And Demiurge's like, oh, splendid. It's even better than the th- Using a floor guardian as a throw. Truly, he's like, oh, you are such a god. And you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, that's even better than <laughs> the bone throne. <laughs> and, and, and apparently, and this is like a common, uh, Japanese form of uh, humiliation is human furniture. This is like a common punishment, apparently, like old, back in old Japan. So it's like, uh, he's like, perfect, there's a punishment. Well, no, she's into that. It also happens to be a niche fetish, and it's one of the many that Chaltier has. So he's like, if it's too much for you, I can stop. And she like, turns, no, just, I see like the greatest pleasure. Keep going, please. And he's like, and he's about to get up, like, no, this is too weird. And he's like, no, I have to punish myself for letting that happen to Chaltier. I messed up. No, I have to endure this to punish myself. So he sits back down. <laughs> that whole scene. Cause then more stuff happens. The beginning of the last episode of the Lizardman arc was so fucking funny. Like, not only is the show amazing and well-written, but the comedy moments are legitimately funny. So it's succeeding in that respect in ways that other anime fail. So it's not even just, oh, I'm not just content on succeeding where other anime fail in story and setting and concept. I'm also going to make my humor better than other anime. Fuck you. Welcome to the new standard. That's how good Overlord is, people. Uh... Yeah, and then Shaltier has, like, this uh, true vampire form, which the anime kind of dropped the ball on. Like, if you see the artwork of her true form and then how it looks in the anime, it just kind of looks underwhelming in the anime, whereas the <laughs> artwork, it looks more scary because it's supposed to be fucking terrifying. Fucking the ring girl with a lamprey mouth and long tongue and shit. And then she's got, yeah. like, a, she's got, like, vamp vampire lady minions that she uses that she will also use for sex slaves because she's made by a pervert. Um, and then going into the creation of her sister was actually two uh, NPCs that, uh, I think her name was Boogu Boogu Chagama. Yeah. God. They are weird names because it was like fucking, it's like when we, when we play fucking Final Fantasy fourteen. I called myself Shlomo Goldstein. It's Translated, weird. her name means bubble bubble teapot, yeah. which is a reference to the fact that she used to be fat, yeah, but it's uh, not anymore. Her creations are a dig at her brother, which I love because it's it's a, a pair of kids, a boy and a girl, brother and sister, and they're basically modeled after what is essentially she is implying to her brother is the ideal brother sister relationship. And it's basically the, the, the girl looks like a boy and the boy looks like a girl because the idea is that the girl is the dominant one and the tough one yeah. and the boy is a meek little bitch in a dress. 
And the yeah, the cross dressing. Yeah. So basically, her creations, Aura and Mare, and they don't realize this. Are she made them to make fun of her brother and to tease him. And they, what is great is I think Mare is the is Mare is the boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know why he's in a dress. <laughs> says, "Well, my creator made me like this, so I guess I'm supposed to wear a girl's clothing." He doesn't know. It's not like he's a he's into cross dressing. He's just this is how I was made. I'm supposed to do this. I don't know why. Yeah, that's that's why the other floor guardians conclude that like aha, like the supreme beings apparently like they dress boys like girls. <laughs> maybe we should do that. Maybe that makes boys magic because he's a mage. He's like, does maybe dressing a man like a woman makes their magic more powerful? We should experiment with this at some point in the, in the future. <laughs> you know what the best part is? Like in one of the later novels. There's this bit where uh, Ainz and Albedo are reviewing proposals for the kingdom, like once he's already ruling some people. And Aura and Mara happen to to come by because of other business. So Aura is like, I've got a suggestion. I think the boys should dress like girls and the girls should dress like boys. (laughs) And Ainz uh, on the inside basically goes, fuck. (laughs) Because he he initially like has to has to think of a way to to refute this without without directly contradicting you know the other supreme beings because otherwise they're gonna ask why I think that's a fantastic idea because they're also loyal to the supreme being that created them because the idea is if if they had to choose between I no, even though they love and adore Eins if they had to choose between Eins and their creator they would they would all each choose their creator yeah. so he's got to like at least be very conflicted. Yes. Uh, so he's got to kind of like, he can't, I mean, he loved his old guild, but he can't at the same time, like, say, no, your creator made it, was fucking around. No, your creator is wrong. He can't say your creator is wrong. Yeah. Ultimately, he in that situation, he manages to weasel out of it by saying that, uh, that their creator did it in order to make them special. <laughs> <laughs> so if ever, everyone dressed like that, they wouldn't be special anymore. Hilariously enough, out of both of them, like especially Mara was then immediately insistent that uh, only they keep that specialness, so to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're they're pretty great. I mean, they, they have sort of a comparatively smaller role, but they're always they're always entertaining. Couple of tykes whenever they show up. Um, yeah. Also, nobody tries to have sex with them. Yes. Uh, which which is which is just amazing considering this is an anime made in the 2010s. <laughs> uh, and the next, let's see. Yeah. And there's there's no weird trap fetish stuff. Yeah, like there's like I said, we've, we've got allusions to these fetishes, but it's the show is not promoting the fetish. The idea is that these characters were created by somebody who has this fetish, and the characters built around that, as opposed to it just being the fetish. Yeah, I mean, they have, like, a fucking army of battle maids, and then, like, 41 more regular maids that are all level 1, which are, like, in the novels. Yeah. And they were all created by, like, their outfits and so on were all created by this one guy who is apparently, like, a popular uh, manga author in real life. And he is fucking obsessed with maid uniforms (laughs) and thinks they're the best thing ever. (laughs) Which is why he puts them on every single fucking character they've got. 
Yeah, they also have the Pleiades Battle Maids. The idea was the Floor Guardians were each like a boss that the guild came up with and built up to guard each floor from other... Because guilds could raid other guilds' headquarters, and if, you're, if your headquarters raided in the game, I forget what happened. It was like something bad. Like, I think your guild was disbanded or something. If they got um, their hands on the guild item, yeah. In yeah. this case, the staff. Yeah. Um, you basically lost your guild. So you could make, like, NPCs and then have them, like, guard your guild headquarters. So they... Einzulgon, the guild, pull the the members that made these NPCs then poured like all this shit into them and like and like fucking uh, tweaked their stats and shit and built them up to like cheese the game and they kind of thought of like strategies and all these ways around so people couldn't beat them, um, like total fucking min max motherfuckers like what they poured into these characters. Uh, so now that they're real, they're fucking gods. Yeah, the battle mates themselves aren't level one hundred. They're more like fifty to sixty in some cases, but still in that fucking world, they're borderline invincible too. Yeah, and they were made as like if you got past the floor guardians, you had to fight the battle maids and Sebus, and they would keep a raiding party busy while the guild prepared their final assault at the end. Yeah, there is still. There are, like, some individuals in that new world that are actually capable of somewhat standing up to the battle mates. There's a really cool fight that the anime hasn't gotten to yet. So this is still in the light novels. But it's, like, it's shown, it's alluded to in the opening for the second season. So they're gonna show it then. Oh, the fight with Entoma? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, one of the battle mates fights, like, one of the absolute highest-ranked adventurer groups... And even then, she probably still could have uh, likely won if it hadn't been for uh, Evil Eye. But yeah, like fucking Entoma is also a pretty great character because again, she she looks like a cutesy maid. But as as previously mentioned, like all the other NPCs in Nazarick, all the maids are non-human. So one of them, for instance, is a slime. Entoma is an insect. And she has like this. This well, she's cute... a spider, so it's technically an arachnid. Get yeah, right, she has, like, jeez. <laughs> she has like this cute anime spider girl face, but as it turns out, like that face isn't actually her face. That's just a fucking insect shaped like a mask. Yeah, it's like the carapace for a bug that's latched on the front. Yeah, and then, and then she has another bug in her throat that makes the anime girl voice she talks in, yeah. which is not her real voice. It's like a leech that she talks through that makes the anime girl voice. Yeah, and... her, her real voice is actually like really raspy. Yeah, it's like really deep. <laughs> yeah. She's also got the anime hair, but it's just more bugs. It's like yeah, it's like legs. Yeah, Entima's great because she's like like. A super nice little girl, or whatever, and then it's like she eats like when she's eating something, it's eaten with her throat. There's like fucking uh, mandibles coming out of her throat. Yeah. And I then, always like, get a weird feeling when I eat real people. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like this horrific bug abomination that gets really upset when she loses the anime girl voice leech. Like, did you see rip out someone's when she loses? She rips out someone's throat to make a new one. Or yes. Something like that? Yeah. I got a new voice now. I got my voice back. Entima's a delight because she's lovable and horrific at the same time. 
It's like, oh, what a nice girl. Oh, she's a fucking abomination. <laughs> what, what a nice, friendly abomination. She's trying her best. Yeah. Or another one of the maids, Solution. She's a slime. Yeah, like, she's technically, and... she has, like, she's not even that her human body is not real. It's just sort of the shape the slime is in. <laughs> yeah. She can store stuff in herself, too. Yeah, and then she's she... Like, so she's like a compartment. Then she eats a guy with her boobs. <laughs> yeah. Like, her thing is she really enjoys dissolving people. So what she does is just she, she starts trapping parts of people in her body and then, like, slowly dissolves them while they're conscious. And she and she has the appearance like a big titted blonde, and it's like, oh, you want to touch my tits? Like, no, your hair go through them. Now you go through them. Um, and she's like one of the most one of the mo- I think one of the most evil members of Nazari. <laughs> she's just fucking sadistic. Yeah. Um, one of the maids I love. One of the maids is a fucking robot. And it's like yes. a, there was like a contention within the guild because they said that the that she clashed with the aesthetic of the game because <laughs> it was like a medieval fantasy, and then you have one that's a robot with a, with guns and like fatigues on her maid outfit <laughs> and, and an like eye guild, patch. Yeah, and an eye patch. And the guild members were upset. Like, why is she a robot? This is fucking clashes. <laughs> what did you do? Why is there robots in this game? <laughs> And she's like a huge fucking gun and shit. And I just love that, like that, just that thing. Like they're just upset that there's a fucking robot. It's just clashes. <laughs> um, yeah. The battle ways are pretty cool. Um, yeah, they actually have their own little OVA series called Play 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 Eighties. Yeah, it's not like the funniest thing in the world, but it's cute. It's a little little super form. It was like a web series. It's it's a, it's a funny little thing. Uh. And then the the leader is Sebus. He's like the head butler and one of the level one hundreds. He was made by Touch Me. Um, he is a badass. Yes. Um, he is like the focus of novels seven and eight, the Men in the Kingdom arc. Yeah, which is, which is, is the gonna... current arc the anime is on. Yeah, which is like the bulk of season two. Yeah, the entire thing can basically be summed up as Sebus wrecks absolutely everyone. <laughs> this show. One of the amazing things about the show is. If you boil it down, our protagonists kind of walk over everybody. And yet the show still manages to be exciting. Yeah. Bec- and it's not doing it the way One Punch Man did, because One Punch Man was satirical about it. and it, But it also showed the, the existential thing of this character that can't find a challenge. Yeah. Overlord- At the same time, it's it's also kind of similar to One Punch Man in the sense that the series doesn't exclusively focus on the overpowered characters, but uh, there's also a lot of fights that have tension in them because they involve people that aren't members of Nazarick or that aren't like super invincible effectively so uh there's there's also a bunch of fights like these so so like our protagonists are effectively invincible i mean there are things that can hurt them but they're playing it smart so that this won't be an issue but there is there's like other things going on that are making it exciting in lieu of threats to our protagonist like, a lot of the subterfuge they use is fantastic to watch because they're so powerful and they kind of got to keep some of that on the down low because there's, like, items from the game that could be used against them. So they orchestrate, like, almost theater, like the End of the Men in the Kingdom arc, um, which is, like, only one fight is real. 
and a lot of it is just like members of Nazarene fighting each other and putting on this performance. And sometimes uh, there are humans who are very vulnerable who, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there are you know, humans who Ainz has attached himself to for one reason or another, and they can die. And so he has to try to keep them alive, like the whole thing with uh, Clementine murdering his adventuring buddies. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. that so the, the show finds new and interesting ways to be enthralling and exciting. It's sort of like the challenge, the handicap that the authors give themselves. Like, my protagonists are way stronger than everybody. So I have to find new ways to tell an exciting story that aren't just, how are our heroes going to beat this stronger guy? Because there is no stronger guy. Well, except maybe the, uh, the the Dragon Lord. Well, I think he's technically weaker, but he has access to this previous guild's shit. So he himself is not as strong as our protagonist, but he's got the goods to threaten them. Yeah. Actually, the, the Dragon Lord might actually be stronger because he's got access to what is called wild magic, meaning magic that is outside of the realm of what the the video game introduced into this world outside of the realm of tier magic so to speak yeah but the wild magic was weakened by the introduction of the tier yggdrasil magic yeah, like, its it, spread was weakened like it is basically being displaced but the ones that can still actually use it are extremely powerful because wild magic it gets explained in the novels the way that it works is it can do nearly everything but it depends on the power of the caster and if the caster is weaker, they can still do all that shit, but then it requires sacrifices. Yeah, I think... Like, though, wild magic is fueled by souls. I think the implication, though, is that the Platinum Dragon Lord himself, I don't think is, like, as strong as the level 100s. But again, not only does he have the wild magic, but he's living in an old guild HQ, and he's got their guild items, including their guild item. Like, yeah. like with Ayn's staff, he has this other guild's equivalent. So that's... He's... The Platinum Dragon Lord is our main antagonist, and we'll get to the other NPCs in minutes as we're only on this tangent. And this is interesting. This is what I love about this show. Platinum Dragon Lord, and you're thinking, oh, this is like this ultimate, basically like the ultimate dragon. And you're thinking, oh, it's probably going to be like another bad guy. No, the Platinum Dragon Lord's a decent dude. He's a hero. He, he used, he sort of remote controlled a, a suit of armor from this guild to help with these heroes to, to defeat previous Yggdrasil players that became despots in the past. And the Platinum Dragon Lord, you see the, his establishing scene in the anime in season two. Kind of love this dude. He seems like a cool guy. That's our main antagonist. Because <laughs> he's trying to protect this world from these Yggdrasil people. From the, He doesn't know that they're from a video game, but he knows shit about them. Like that they call themselves players. That they come from this place they call Yggdrasil. Um, they're the ones that brought all this magic and items and shit. Yeah, apparently every 100 years there's people like that that come to this world. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's like one minor character that's occasionally mentioned like that as long dead, which is very heavily implied to once be a player. Like there's this this being that's offhandedly mentioned called the Minotaur Sage, who was a, as the name implies, like a really wise Minotaur that brought a lot of knowledge and information to this world. And there's a lot of magic items, apparently, like minor ones, based on designs that he described. And if you then read the description of them, it makes it very obvious. Some of them, for instance, are just magic equivalents of refrigerators. At another point, it references a a somewhat barbaric ma uh, method to cure illnesses, which, after all, of course, it would seem barbaric to them. After all, they have healing magic. 
although it can't cure everything, obviously. And said barbaric method was also introduced by the Minotaur Sage, and it's called surgery. <laughs> yeah, because the people that came, you know, obviously they're from the future. This game, you know, the Yggdrasil is like in 23-something. Mm-hmm. So they're bringing sort of modern knowledge to this uh, Tolkien-esque fantasy world. And that's also like some of them like help build up kingdoms because they had modern knowledge of like economics and and management and shit like that. Yeah, so the uh, two major the two major past factions of players that are important for this world were first the so-called six gods, which were six players that were then worshipped by a theocracy that cropped up around them. That is essentially like human supremacist, if you will. Although it's extremely understandable because most of the other demi-human races see humans as food and there's, and humans are essentially assailed from all sides by these monster nations. Eins even points this out at one point, like where he, where he essentially says to himself, like anyone who was like a, who was like a human player would probably have really strong sympathies with the theocracy. But of course he doesn't because he's an undead. <laughs> So there's so there's that. So those were these six gods, and then there were the other the other beings called the eight greed kings, which were also very heavily implied to be players. And they these were a guild, guys actually. Yeah, these guys tried to take over the world, but after they had done so, they essentially descended into infighting and ended up killing all of each other. So the thing that's re- that's remaining of them is like this this city in the desert, which is like a perpetual oasis with water and so on. And apparently, there's items of incredible power there, but people just can't really reach them because they're full of guardians and shit. Yeah, they have in 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 Yggdrasil, items and magic were in classes and tiers, like six tier, seven tier, and then it, the top tiers were like. Once you got past the numbered tiers, it got to, like, super level and then world level. And world level are, like, game breakers. But, like, world level items you could usually only use once and then they would go away. But they were, like, insta-wins. Like, it was, like, the world level items were just absolute game breakers. And it was a lot of pay-to-win shit when Yggdrasil, apparently. So there was a lot of, like, super tier and world level shit. It had, like, like, it had a a fucking gotcha game in it. Yeah. Where you could gamble for various items. But yeah, it should be and mentioned this. There are world items that can be used multiple times. But there's a category of world items called the 20. Those are the ones that can only be used one time. And they're insanely powerful. One of them called Ouroboros, it's mentioned, uh, was literally the ability for you to petition the developers of the video game to change the magic system for your benefit. <laughs> It's wonderful when you learn more about how the game worked. It's obvious it was completely broken as a game. Yeah, yeah, but it, it Eines, really was. Yeah, Eins when he was human loved it because he just spent all his money on it, so he was ungodly powerful. <laughs> the interesting thing is, like Eins's character isn't even all that powerful. Like all things considered, yeah, he's maximum level, but he's nowhere near like a like a competitive build. Because he, uh, like, when he was playing the game, he was more in day-to-day operations and leading, like, the administration of the guild rather than fighting on the front lines. 
So when he made his character, like he made his character intentionally to fit the flavor of role playing like an undead necromancer. Which actually did have an accidental benefit because the thing is in this video game, like even at the end of the game, not everything was known about it. Like it wasn't really known how many jobs there were, how this all interacted with each other, like some items weren't known. And just because Eins followed this path of trying to roleplay an undead necromancer, and he took all these classes and job levels associated with it, just because of that, when he was level 95, there was a job that opened up to him that was only displayed because he had a very peculiar and particular combination of jobs. That particular job is called Eclipse, which uh, I think in the in-game description was something like for for like a sorcerer that pursues necromancy to its very end. That skill that he used both in the in the novel and in the anime when he was fighting with Shaltia, I guess. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. That skill that he used, the goal of all life is death. This this fucking wipeout super instant kill. That's the skill he got from that from that job class. Yeah, the the anime doesn't go into the description of a lot of what his spells do, especially in that fight. But it was a lot like it, it, one of the cool things about like the making the MMO thing real is that he uses video game tactics that now have tangible results. So he does a thing like he uses an ability called Cry of the Banshee that like all the shit you're about to do will now affect everything. Not just like an individual target. Like you, it basically turns, um, like a single target attack into a all targets on screen attack. And then he uses goal of all life is death, which uh is an insta kill. Or I think it also like makes shit that doesn't work, like insta kill moves, work or something like that. Or I think that was yeah, goal of all life is death. Yeah. yeah, it just fucking kills you pretty much. Yeah, like and right, I think it, even, it bypasses death immunities, if I remember. Yeah, something like that. So, goal of all life is death. It's like it, it starts a countdown clock, and when it hits, if it hits zero, you die regardless of any death immunities. And then, cry of the banshee makes it affect everything around you rather than just a single target. So, when he does this in a real world scenario, not only does you know it it, it do the thing to the person he's fighting. But it wipes out the land around him, even the air. So it, it like, just turns stag- to sand. Yeah, so it just turns this forest into a desert. Because the, Cry the Banshee made Goal of All Life is Death affect literally everything. <laughs> he killed the land, he killed the trees, he killed the air, he killed the animal. Just turned it all into a desert. So it's that kind of I thing. Or like dioxide. <laughs> or, <laughs> or like there's a there's a ability called Grass Part that's like it's pretty much a uh, insta-kill low-level enemies move. Like, oh, it's got some trash mobs. Let me just kill them real quick. Grasp heart. Now, now that the spells are real, it really does that. So what it was was just like a trash mob killing low-level insta-kill now instantly murders anyone he comes across because it literally is him grasping their heart and crushing it. Grasp heart is actually a high-level instant-kill. Oh, was it high-level? It was something like that. It was... Yeah. He uses it wouldn't have... A... Oh, go ahead. He uses it on a dragon in one of the later novels. I, but didn't he wasn't he like surprised it worked like in the game that wouldn't have worked. No, he, the reason he was surprised initially was just because uh, a because the guys he was fighting at the beginning of the series were so fucking weak. Like he initially assumed everyone would be around the same level he was, and b he was just like um, 
that he didn't know if his attack magic would work on a you know an actual living target. So it was like I'm oh, talking about. Shit, I, th- I thought he was work. surprised when it worked on the dragon. No, he wasn't. Okay. Like he he knew that would work. Okay. Well, yeah. The, the idea is like now that all this all these magics are real, and they even do different things. Like when he summons undead, instead of just spawning an, an enemy minion, it actually takes a dead body and makes them into an undead enemy from the game. Like yeah. it actually animates a corpse. So, like, incidentally, this is one of the reasons why Eins is actually, from an Yggdrasil perspective, not one of the strongest fighters. It's because uh, he went this role-playing path down. So because of that, like he can, he's good at creating undead, and he also has like a plethora of instant death skills. But anyone who's immune to instant death is, of course, a massive problem to him. Well, I mean, he does have a lot of tactics. Because the thing is. Technically, he's at the same level of all his NPCs, but as we saw, when he fought one of them, he can kick their ass because he's really good at the game, um, because most yeah. people didn't know a lot of the details about the game, and he was obsessed with the game, so he knows a shit ton about it, and yeah. I think he's got, if... like, he's got like a way higher spell pool than, like, was the, like, I think the normal default, like, you could have up to, like, 500 spells, and he's got, like, 700 and some. Yeah, maximum is three hundred, I think. Yeah, yeah, and he's like in the seven hundred. So like, he he's not a pure damage. Oh, I found a way to break the game kind of character, but he's really good at the game, and he has a shitload of spells. So he gets he can get by on that. My favorite part yeah. about the shelter fight is when he spends a solid minute just powering himself up with all those uh, all these different spells he knows. <laughs> Which, if you've played an MMO, and Max, you know what I'm talking about, because we played Final Fantasy XIV, that's legit. <laughs> <laughs> because he looks at her and he realizes, oh, I don't aggro her just standing here. So he just stands there for a minute going, like, maximize magic, penetrate up. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about that, too, if you go back and watch it again, when he starts, those spells are legit. It's not just there for flavor. He's basically listing out what he's going to do in the fight. Because he, he lists out, like, the... the um. Like the the exploding mines and shit. Yeah. And uh, mask was it mask health or something? Like, re, re, mm-hmm. Instead of instead of seeing his false health, state of life, false state of life. That was it. So he's listing these things out. So if you then watch the fight and then go back and watch that scene, he's listing everything he's about to do with those spells. That's another thing I really like about the show. The series is just fucking clever, man. And you know we didn't even fucking finish the floor guardians. We got so off track. So much good shit to talk about. Oh yeah. You I think Albedo um, was next. Yeah, I think it was Albedo. Was he the last one? I don't think there's... I think that's... Yeah, it's the last one left. It's fucking Albedo. We didn't even talk about Albedo. Albedo's a treat. <laughs> Albedo is a character... This show is great, because, like, there's some kind of character archetypes that I would not usually not stand, and Overlord makes me love them, like Shaltier. And anything else, I would hate Shaltier, but no, not an Overlord. I fucking love Shaltier. She's great. Albedo's another example. She is the... I am obsessively in love with the main character girl. But, oh, does she breathe fresh new life into that archetype? <laughs> uh, first of all, how that even happens is great. So what's happening on the last day of the game, Ainz is kind of messing around because the, game, the game's about to basically die. So he opens up Albedo's settings and he looks, because he's never really read the backstories that his, uh, his guildmates wrote for their characters. And he's going the thing like, he's like, basically, Jesus, this is long. Look at all this. And he looks at him and he's like, she's a bitch? And he's like, oh, yeah, he was really into, like, there's a, there's a, character thing in japan japan has like an actual name for it kind of a fetish for it where it's like they're they look one way but they act another way 
Gap Moe. Gap Moe, that's it. So it's like, oh, she looks beautiful and fair. She's like a succubus kind of demon girl. She looks all beautiful and, and proper, but she's a total bitch. It's Gap Moe. So it's you like, know what's even funnier? That's not what it said in the novels. <laughs> in the novels, it said... Oh, is she, a, is she a nymphomaniac? In the novels, it said, I'm quoting here, on the outside, she's a perfect beauty, but actually, she's a slut. Yeah, yeah. It was basically that kind of shit. So he's like, eh, let me just... Eh, game's about to end. Let me mess around here. So he he, he gets, like, admin powers with the staff. Mm-hmm. And then like, he, that's too terrible. Yeah. So he rewrites that part and changes it to, she's madly in love with Momonga. This is as a joke. She's madly in love with me. Like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm such a nerd. Ah, as a joke. So he's like, okay, well, we're going to go. And then she's real. <laughs> Including that little bit he wrote at the end. <laughs> she's so, actually aware of that, but doesn't care at all. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> she, she, she's just quite literally madly in love with him. You could say she's constantly trying to jump his bones. <laughs> and what's great is... You you have in all these anime things, like, oh, this guy has all these girls pining for him. Why doesn't he ever make a move? Because, oh, Japan, oh, is so improper. Don't show me the boobies. Oh, the blood from my nose. No, don't, don't jump me. Oh, it is improper. Like, no, none of this shit. He can't. He physically can't fuck any of these girls because he is a fucking skeleton. As a British Lelouch once put it so wonderfully, my penis doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Code Mint is the only good of bridge series. Um, yeah, he can't. And uh, sort of an aspect of the lich overlord uh, race that he is, is he, it, his emotions are kept in check. Like anytime his emotions get strong, he gets this green aura and it like puts him back down to normal. So doubly he can't. He even says like, oh, that's another sword I won't be using because he knows he can't. I said, like, well, this is real now. Let me see if I can wield a sword. No, no, I can't do it. He just kind of fumbles with the sword and drops it because it's not his class. So that still stays in reality. It just sort of plays out differently. So, and then he notices, oh, we got these girls all pining for me and I can't because I got no dick. And he says, oh, that's another sword I won't be using. <laughs> and I believe in the novels, it does go into the fact that this frustrates him because, I mean, at least initially, he's like, I mean, that would be great. Yeah. Oh damn! <laughs> She's like big titted, perfect bodied woman is coming up. Oh, for the love of God, please fuck me! And he's like, I can't. I have no penis. <laughs> he also feels conflicted because, uh, in a sense, he sort of sees them as, like, as children. Yeah, I like, think I think that's a li- guild members. I think it's a little later though, as he's spending more time with them. Yeah. And he, and he also starts thinking that it might be inappropriate because he essentially starts thinking of himself as a CEO once he becomes a more of a ruler of surrounding areas because he used to be a salary man. So, of course, he would see it like in the perspective of a company. And uh, like he's like, I, I, I can't do anything. That would be like sexual harassment. <laughs> so <laughs> initially... technically my employees. Initially, he would have. He just can't. And then, you know, he gets some moral convictions later on. But either way... The show fucking addresses that in a realistic and believable manner. Thank God. What's even funnier is, like, even though he gets somewhat developed scruples in that direction, I guess you could say. Like, in the other one, he doesn't because, um, without spoiling too much, at one point, he kills, like, over 100,000 people. (laughs) 
<laughs> doesn't give a shit. Because he's a lich now, it is, is it, it has affected his view of humanity, and he points yeah. this out very early on, because he sees these people getting slaughtered through his little magic mirror thing, and he notes to himself, huh, this isn't affecting me. I mean, this kind of thing used to, it would make me throw up watching this, and I'm just, I just feel nothing. I feel nothing for these people or feel nothing watching this, and he realizes, oh, wow, well, I, I am a lich now. I'm not human. It's, it's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil the exact details, but at one point he casts like a super tier spell against an army, and uh, they even though like the people all there are like horribly dying, all he thinks to himself is pretty much just like, "Oh, cool! I did really well with that spell. Like it had even better results than I had hoped." Is he like, "I man, if this were an Yggdrasil, I would have set a world record." <laughs> yeah, the only humans he cares about are his humans. Yeah. Well, they're not humans, that's the thing. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, and then that spell was so horrifying that the very next novel is all about all the traumatic effects that it had on people. That's the best part. It's like volume nine, he casts this huge spell. And without getting too much, it summons, it uses the dead people to summon these Lovecraftian horrors that are so terrifying that even the people that are on his side run in fear, piss their pants, literally run in fear, they're terrified. People remote watching this from other places are just, just, everybody's just so horrified that the entire next book, volume 10, is all about all the various different characters and how they've all just been broken by this spell. (laughs) The interesting thing is, like, the creatures he summons their they're actually from the Lovecraft mythos, like they're the dark they're young. The, yeah, they're they're the dark young from Shubnigoroth. Yeah, that's the name of the spell is Ia Shubnigoroth, because Lovecraft is public domain. Yeah, but <laughs> like he's just happy that he managed to summon five of them, <laughs> and everyone else is like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> And these things are all like level what seventy? Ninety. Ninety, yeah. <laughs> Ninety plus. <laughs> and t- on top of that, while they don't really have any special skills, they're insanely resilient even for that level. <laughs> and they constantly make adorable goat sounds <laughs> while they kill people. <laughs> like one one like magic seer from like the theocracy. After viewing it, like through her magic mirror or whatever, like locks herself in her room. She won't talk to anybody. She's like totally traumatized. She wrote a report of what she saw. She throwed it to the leaders of theocracy, and now they're traumatized just reading it. Like, so there's like, several characters now that can't eat solid foods anymore. No, that's because of other reasons. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Those are those guys. Yeah, okay. But still, basically, volume 10 is look at what Ainz has done to these people. I can't wait. It's just I want this anime to keep going and going because there's so much shit I wanted to see adapted. Season three is going to be amazing. Just think, yeah. All he wanted was to meet up with his other guildmates, if any exist in this world. <laughs> That's and all he, he wanted. Became, and then he became Skeleton Hitler. Uh, well, he's not Hitler because like, he's he's a good ruler to his people. <laughs> he's just like, huh, I want to see if any of my guildmates made it here, and then. Ten novels later. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we, we got off track on Alberto. Yeah. But, uh, she's great because this, her, like, obsessive love of Ainz is hilarious because he can't reciprocate. He fucking can't. And this does not stop her. And she's literally, I, I can't emphasize enough, crazy 
for him. <laughs> There's a great scene where uh, Demiurge walks into Ainz's bedroom and she's lying in his bed naked because he's out, he's away, and we'll get into his adventures and what he's doing there. And she wants the bed to smell like her when he returns. And Demiurge just walks and is like, basically he's like, okay then. It's <laughs> just unfazed. Alright, that's that's what you're doing. And then she pulls out that she has made an Ein's body pillow <laughs> that she is laying in the bed with. And he's basically like, okay, don't get too carried away on his bed. <laughs> just very matter of factly, just do, basically don't don't cream yourself on his bed <laughs> with the body pillow. Just Oh, uh, and then she's like she's planning on having his children and she's already made clothes for like five years for both genders like i was like wait what if the child doesn't have a gender not a social justice thing like what if it's a formless abomination or something like that <laughs> and damn you're just playing these like well i mean the supreme beings just aura and mare up and like cross-dress so I, don't, I don't think they have a problem with cross-dressing no, it says, like, the Supreme Beings dress boys like girls. <laughs> He's like, ah, oh, it's really great information to know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Demiurge. You've, you've calmed my my worries. That's <laughs> what <Yeah>. I do. <laughs> Demiurge, I love him. <laughs> Incidentally, what makes this even funnier is, like, uh, occasionally Eins just lays down in his bed because while he can't sleep, it's sort of like a remnant from being human, so he just does it to calm himself sometimes. And uh, there's there's other occasions where he comments, like, man, my bed smells really nice. They must have sprayed perfume on it. <laughs> this must be what they, what they do for rich people. I have to keep yeah. that in mind if I ever pretend to be rich. And at one point in, in the novels, uh, later in the novels, he just no he essentially knows, oh, wait, that, that was Albedo. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> he's like, He's just used to it after a point. <laughs> It's like she she was waiting for him all day at one point in his office because he has an office and he, he's like oh shit it must be urgent so he goes to see what she wants and he, and she's basically was there waiting for him to role play husband and wife because <laughs> like, oh, you've been out of work you've been out far away at work all day and you come home to find your blushing bride ready to please you and he's like that's what she was doing all day ERP <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious because it takes that whole oh god I'm the main girl with the big tits and I want you so bad and it elevates that to a comedic level and we have a reasonable reason why he won't reciprocate because he literally can't so it's not just Japanese oh it's so improper no no keep your crotch away from my face <laughs> no it's just a, a, a legitimate reason a pragmatic understandable and relatable reason why he won't fuck the big-titted succubus that wants nothing more than to jump his bones. Ha ha. Literally. Yeah. Also, which makes that even funnier is that her mount, her, her steed, the, the creature that she rides, can't, it can only be ridden by basically a whore because it's like a demon succubus mount and she can't ride it because she's a virgin because she is saving herself for eins and he can never fuck her. <laughs> so she can't ride her own mount cockubus <laughs> so she... incidentally she has her own room which she doesn't allow the maids to clean since she cleans it herself as what she considers part of her bridal training 
I like uh, I like when uh, she and Sheltier do the the anime girl harem. Like, oh, we're fighting over which one gets him, you know. But then they they sort of they uh, take it to a more funny and a legitimately funny place where they basically like, oh no, we're fully aware he's some someone as high standing him is obviously going to have a harem. He's obviously going to have all the girls. We're fighting over which one's basically going to be the bottom bitch. <laughs> we're fighting over who gets to be the queen versus who just gets to be in the harem. So it's, it's it's taking like harem trappings and then putting a new creative spin on it because this isn't faggoty bullshit, even though it's a light also novel. Everyone, also, everyone makes fun of Shaltia for stuffing her chest. <laughs> like, the Overlord and Tanya, which is funny because the, the, the authors of both are like best friends, are basically here to save light novels. Like, Overlord is a light novel that is nothing like other light novels. Like, first of all, it's entertaining and well-written. The cover art is gorgeous. The art within is gorgeous. It's not like just some plain anime art, and it's just like the cover is just some chi- anime girl with a white background and the title. The title is one word as opposed to a paragraph. Uh, it's surprising and- if you go to a bookstore and just browse the manga section and you see all of the stuff like... Was it- my was it my high school romantic comedy as wrong as I expected? You, know, you you see stuff like that, and then you see Overlord with a cover is a metal album cover. Yeah, and the artwork is just beautiful, like amazing. The artwork in these fucking novels, like holy fuck! It doesn't look like anime art. I mean, it is anime art, but it doesn't look like it. it's like classical paintings mixed yeah. with an, a metal cover. Which is especially funny because one of the illustrations in one of the more recent novels is from a scene where, like, once again, Albedo and Ainz, with some other guardians present, were discussing something. But because Albedo has been a bit stressed as of lately, uh, because she had even more responsibilities now that she's, like, prime minister of their nation and so on, she essentially, like, snaps more than usual and literally just uh, slams him on the ground and starts mounting him, and Kokaitis has to pull her off. <laughs> As like illustrated in the uh, in the light novel. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's beautiful. I love I love Overlord. Um, yeah, Albedo is great. Uh, the light novels gave her a couple sisters who were dumb characters, but they seem to not be in the other media. Like, Albedo herself was not in the web novels, and then she was adding the light novels, obviously a very popular character, so she, she's in the manga, she's in the anime, but, like, her sisters are, do not seem to have migrated, and I am happy for that. I do not like them as characters. They're, they added nothing, and were kind of dumb. Uh, well, the, the younger sister of her, which is claimed to be the strongest being of Nazareth, like, she doesn't even really appear... Like, she's just mentioned at one point. The other one is, uh, is essentially like a, like a horror trope sort of thing, because Albedo's creator didn't just like Gap Moe, he also liked horror movies. So he sort of made like a, like a Sadako-esque character, where like her face was like, uh, I think just raw flesh or something. Yeah, she kind of really didn't add much, except I don't know, have, Albedo have sisters or whatever. But, I mean, she would have appeared if she would appear in the anime and she didn't, so... I, yeah. I, I am not crying for her loss. I, like I said, I, I really don't like the sis, Albedo sisters. Um, There's also a member of the Pleiades we haven't yet seen, like, 
effectively their leader and incidentally the only human being in all of Nazarick, albeit an immortal human isn't isn't the leader um what what's her name alpha the one with the gauntlets no she's the she's the vice leader and normally like the 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 absolute leader is sebas but they apparently have like two different settings so to speak for that group one in which sebas leads them and the other one in which the other chick leads them but we haven't seen her yet hmm probably her last name is omega because <laughs> uh, they're all greek letters um and i think that's all the major characters because we yeah. were introduced to other npcs because basically it was, this guild had like 40 people at, at, at you know in total you know people came and went and they all contributed npcs sometimes multiple npcs so this fucking tomb was swarming with npcs yeah uh, including one one that, of the better sorry, there's that one that Ayn's made too no yeah he, oh yeah that's right his Pandora's actor Pandora's yeah. actor and he made him when he was going through like a phase so now he's like embarrassed by him he's like dressed in like fucking almost Nazi military outfit I think it's supposed like, to be a World War II era Japanese uniform oh was it yeah something yeah, like, like an that. officer's uniform or something yeah with it's, it's cool looking uniforms got the coat and everything and he's yeah. got like a weird shy guy face and he's like a changeling morphs into shit and he talks in ridiculous dramatic everything he does is over exaggerated and overacted and it embarrasses he constantly salutes and even speaks german (laughs) you will not speak german in my presence like not real german of course yeah and like he he embarrasses ein so much like that that green aura is constantly kicking in (laughs) <laughs> he is literally so ashamed of it that that this his fucking undead passive ability has to activate to keep his emotions under control. <laughs> and he's like, he keeps putting aside, like, stop doing this thing that you're doing. You're going to represent me. You have to, <laughs> you have to act normal. Yeah, it's again this fantastic scene from one of the newest novels, in which Ains uh, is talking to Pandora's actor. And uh, he's, like, asking him how he's doing in Pandora's Act. He's like, I have suffered greatly. And the reason for that was just because he couldn't get into the into the treasury due to his current obligations. Yeah, because he was set to Heinz guard cre- the ca- treasury, yeah. Yeah, when Einz created Pandora's Actor, he gave him a backstory where he, he wrote that uh, Pandora's Actor really liked treasures and counting coins and so on. Because he thought to himself, like, if I'm going to make an NPC for this place and they're going to be in the treasury the entire time, it would, of course, make sense to just give them a reason as to why they're there all the time. So he just wrote him in the backstory that he really liked treasure. But apparently this has developed into a borderline fetish for Pandora's (laughs) actor, where he just compulsively is super obsessed with all these treasures and needs to count and file everything in the treasury. (laughs) But yeah, so Eins is like talking to him and uh, he's talking about his responsibilities and then the conversation goes in the direction of uh, like Eins says to him he doesn't have to act so over-exaggerated the entire time anymore because he explains to him that he made him that way and he is happy that he displays these traits but he would also like to see like another side of him like the, the... like what he's developed in in the meantime 
like his his whole personality, so to speak. He says, like, you are, after all, in a manner of speaking, my son. and Which is technically true, but again, like, Eins just said that in a casual way. So, of course, because, because he didn't really pay attention to what he's saying, like, Pandora's actor is immediately deeply moved. <laughs> it's like, I understand, father. Because, <laughs> you know, Pandora's actor, he's special among the NPCs because his supreme being's still around. Yeah. He's, he's Eins's creation. Um, and that gets into that really well-written scene I talked about before with, with, uh, uh, Albedo and Ainz when Ainz has to go fight Shaltir, not getting into why too much, but she's mind control. We can say that, you know, the whole, she becomes an MMO boss sort of, uh, and he might die. And she's stronger than he is. Um, so he. You know, Albedo begs him not to do it and everything, and she brings up the fact, and one of the reasons that the NPCs are so reverent of him, is because to them, there are the other supreme beings left them. Ein stayed, so he's like he mercifully, in their eyes, is how they see it. He mercifully stayed with them rather than ascending to whatever new plane the supreme beings go to. Like he's almost like a god that stayed on Earth. So that the 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 lowly NPC mortals wouldn't be lonely, essentially. So he stayed, and that means a ton to them. And that little aspect, like, added so much to these characters. Just that little bit. Yeah. And that, Especially that, that bit where Eins was showing off his golems that he made, which are decked out with the gear his guildmates left him when they quit the game. So it's effectively like a mausoleum, which is even commented upon in the in the novel at one point and ein says like see that spot there like i intend to put a statue of myself there sometime yeah and she breaks down when he says that he begs him not to leave because they without him they have nothing they're all alone and i thought that was like that was really so well written these characters are so well written like the fucking lizard men first fucking scene with um What's her name? Sashuryu and the other, the, the chief guy, his brother. One yeah. scene, and I'm like, well, the, I've, I'm instantly attached to these two. Here, they're, they're genuine characters. I'm getting, I'm, I've seen personality from them. They're likable. And I see what you're doing, author. You're establishing that demi-human races are very much like people rather than being just generic RPG monsters because this is a, a, a quote-unquote real world. Yeah, then we follow them around for a while on that little adventure to gather the various tribes together. When when I and... sends a declaration that he's going to invade, because he event- initially wants to kill the lizard men to see what kind of undead he can make from them. Yeah, and then Kakaitis convinces him. Well, instead of well, not just Kakaitis, but uh, yeah. he's convinced that uh, instead of killing them, let's try ruling them. Since we're going to rule the world, let's try as an experiment, sort of a test to learn to rule and learn yeah. to govern. So one of the two brothers goes around between the different tribes, and there's like this scaleless white lizard that he completely falls head over heels with, which is hilarious. Like the yeah, liter- literally the first thing that he uh, that he says when he sees her, even though he just came there like to to negotiate between their tribes like an alliance, he just says, "Marry me." No, the first thing he says is a mating cry. <laughs> yeah, he like gets and, on and his knees. <laughs> 
the fucking because it's 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 interesting that the lizard men are still animalistic in a lot of ways. They're very human, but they're also very animalistic, and it's interesting how how that plays out in the uh, their behavior, even just how upfront, like instantly in love with her, he is, and how just he just says it. <laughs> like for the, I'm I'm in love with her. I plan to marry her one day. <laughs> like just, there's no subtlety with their relationships. <laughs> that he makes yeah. a maiden cry. I'm going to marry you. <laughs> Later, she's like, like Im- if, impregnate me. <laughs> yeah, or like if the <laughs> yeah, she does say that at the mm. at the end of like a scene, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's great. It was like at the end of an episode, like before the you know before the the whole battle thing where they're not sure if they're all going to die or not. So uh, there's one thing that's so funny, but I don't want to spoil it. I want people to watch. You know what I'm talking you about. Mean, you, mean, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking, about. I'm talking about. And I fucking it's lost fucking it. Hilarious. I laughed so fucking hard. I laughed. What made that funny was not only just what happened. Ains's fucking reactions. <laughs> the anime did that. So the timing in the anime is just fucking brilliant. Just the swish. <laughs> just that pause. Because like he's stunned for a minute. And then just <laughs> 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 that took the wind right out of my sails. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I love this show. Yeah, all the other ones are instantly that we we how disgusting we must instantly kill these <laughs> inferior life forms. <laughs> oh god! Fucking great! Oh shit! I love this fucking show. Uh, yeah, the Lizard Man arc was great because it was the first, not only are, are we establishing demi-humans are very human and, and they're, they're people and let's learn about them, but we're also seeing this is what Ainz and company look like to the outside because for most of that arc, we don't see a lot of our protagonists, which is why a lot of dumb people complain like, what is this? I thought I wasn't watching a show about lizards. I was watching a show about overlords. Shut up. I have no attention span. Yeah. Like the idea we... We're seeing, it still cuts to the Nazari folk, because, you know, we do like these characters and would like to see them. <laughs> but it gives us enough, but it focuses on the lizard folk, because we're seeing this is how they appear to the outside. So, like, when, when Kakaitis shows up, we, we, the whole intro and build up to him, it's like we see him, he's even wearing some new equipment, so he looks new to us. So that we get a little closer to the lizard man's perception that they've never seen him before. Oh, is this Kakaitis? My God, look at this monstrosity! Um, and so we're seeing like how Ains and all his power and the shit he does appears to the outside by giving us these characters, these lizard man characters that we know, that we've we've met and gotten to know and then learn about and connect with. And then Ains rolls up under the swamp with this fucking amazing procession because he he is trying to instill fear in them and put on a show. And just like he's fucking an army of undead, all decked out in golden armor that all form steps for him. And the fucking giant monster throws a fucking giant cube for him to stand on, freezes their whole swamp because he didn't want to get mud on his boots, and they're all stunned by this. Uh, so, like, when Ainz does this show of power, we've been with the lizard men. We see what their day to day is and what, what their sort of power scale is. And then when we see Ainz do all this crazy shit that we've seen Ainz do before, now we have perspective of how holy shit it looks. Because now we see it from the outside looking in. And so that's why the lizard man arc is fucking fantastic. Also, that fight with Kokaitis is just great. Oh, yes, it is. I love it. I love it. It's the greatest one sided beatdown I've ever seen. Yeah. 
the current the current light novel is also absolutely fantastic about the the holy kingdom which could partially be summarized as uh Demiurge kicks everyone's ass and finally ascends to become the legendary Super Aryan, <laughs> which is ironic because he's tan. <laughs> but yeah, Demiurge is fucking fantastic in this. Like he is, like he he levels up from just being demon Mangler to also being demon Hitler <laughs> at the same time. I like because uh, in the I know in the novels I don't want to say too much, <clears throat> but he is. Uh masquerading as a different character yeah. and he he puts on the the impression that he's transformed into his true demon form but what he does is he swaps out with one of his minions that looks bigger and scarier than he is but is actually lower level like demiurge is level 100 this demon's like level 80 but it's still fucking strong to these people so he just swaps out with this big huge hulking horn demon monster that they think is him and they think that's his true form because it's more intimidating looking and then meanwhile, they're putting on a masquerade of him having all this power, like summoning a meteor. Like he waves his hand and then that that signals someone else to use a meteor spell. So it makes the people think that he summoned the meteor. No, that was actually his oh. form in, in his spell. Yeah, he can. Sh- he has multiple ways to shapeshift. So well, no, I wasn't. No, because wouldn't he swap with what it was called like a dark wrath? Like one of his. And uh, no. Yeah, it was one of his minions. I'm pretty. I'm positive. That's. That when he that when he like used the fucking queen as a cudgel, that was like his dark wrath minion. It's like in episode two, like you can see it when Ainz puts on the black armor and walks out, like and Demiurge's three little posse shows up. It's like the guy on the right, it's like the big demon monster. He's like he swapped out with dark wrath. I think it's like called dark wrath or something. Big horn. No, that, that being looks different. I'm positive that was it. I, like in the novels, they look a different way. But yeah, whatever, whichever it is. But yeah, the the meteor spell that was actually him. Oh. That's one of the spells he can cast. Well, yeah, wasn't Demiurge casting the meteor, and then the monster held up his hand? Because we haven't seen. Because Demiurge has multiple forms, and I don't believe we've seen his ultimate form yet. Which Eins, I think, described it as like the epitome of manliness or something like that. We haven't seen it. No, like the meteor casting that was just Demiurge himself just appearing and casting the meteor. Oh, okay, I thought except with his mask. Okay, yeah, I thought I thought he did yeah. it like like the the demon the, the dark wrath thing. No, because then he swaps out with that, and the dark wrath just beats the shit out of everybody and uses the fucking queen of this of this kingdom as a fucking blunt object. <laughs> he picks up the Which queen and just starts hitting people with it. <laughs> I'll beat your ass with Charles. <laughs> That's the fucking juggernaut bitch is back. You thought that meme was dead. Now it's an overlord. But, uh... <clears throat> yeah, that... You go on all day praising the show and then this, this series and the light novels, which which one of our our good friends at AO hooked us up with uh, translations of all the light novels that have currently been put out. And Entirely legally, of course. Oh, of course, entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Wink. Uh, I would, by all means, support this official release because, from what I understand, it's just no—it's not been fucked with. You get all the art. It's it's Overlord in in English form. It's it's would would you? What else could you want? I I have uh, legit copies of the first two books, and they did a good job with it. It's it's pretty unusual for Ian Press because they made hardcovers and actually put effort into it. Well, because they know this one's good. Yeah. <laughs> unlike unlike most of the shit that Yen Press has the license to. It's like they have all this disposable garbage with 
pretty much identical looking covers and they, oh overlord they put effort into this one this time <laughs> the usual shit will not do but uh yeah it's it's just the fucking release fantastic. of Tanya is pretty good too because yeah. I got the the first volume today oh cool it's and did nothing wrong and I love that Tanya and Overlord, their authors are besties. It's like these two bro- two bros showed up to save light novels as a medium. And this is kind of acknowledged in the Tanya anime because they have uh, they have Overlord billboards like in the train station before he gets pushed into the tracks. Yeah, they do <laughs> because they're best friends. They cross promote a bunch. Like say, um, the author Tanya goes to a, a convention or a show or whatever, or one of these like comic cat or whatever to promote the next Tanya book. Um, the the Overlord guy will, like, have a fucking drawing done to to advertise it of, like, Ein's reading Tanya or something like that. And then vice versa. Like, they, they will cross-promote with each other's shit. Because they said they're best friends. So they do this shit for each other a lot. So it's like these, like I said, these two bros that have showed up to, to fucking save light novels as a medium. And I love that. I fucking love it. Especially since they're they're both isekai stories. Yeah, like these two best friends decided, okay, let's let's fix this genre. It's like you could be doing so much more with this genre. Here, let us demonstrate. Stop f- just sending nerds into high fantasy stories where they're the fucking every girl loves them and they're the best guy ever. Because I have a smartphone. <laughs> Here, this is how you do it. It's Friday night, and I feel all right. But yeah, uh, let's see. Is there anything? Can't wait for the inevitable crossover. <laughs> you joke, but they'll probably do something. Uh, Over Tanya, and it's also uh, worth getting into um, that the sort of adventure signs goes on. We'll sort of, I guess we've been talking for a while, so we'll sort of wind it down with this one, uh, where he essentially he dons black armor and goes out as an adventurer. He call, under the name Momon because you can't use the money from Yggdrasil. I mean, technically he could, it's made of pure gold, but he doesn't want to be associated with Yggdrasil yet and doesn't want to call attention to himself by waving around money no one's seen before made of pure gold. So he decides he's got to earn money. So what he does is he puts on this armor that, and he does a thing like he can switch his class, like he can wield things that aren't his class items, but he's still a magic caster, so he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing with this shit, but he's level 100. So he puts on this cool-looking armor, and he dual-wields like two giant swords. Again, no idea what he's doing, but he's fucking level 100, so he plows through everything. Um, and one of the touches that I really like is that when they first... Because they have, in this world, they have things like adventures, and he and Ainz notices as he learns about the world that it actually kind of works like an MMO in a lot of ways. Um, almost, And I, I like the implication. like It's almost been influenced by the presence of other MMO players, that people revered as gods, so they're like they adopted the rules of an MMO in their world, um, including like these adventurers guilds that take up quests that are posted, and you pick pick a quest and then go on that quest just like an MMO, and uh, and then you get raped by goblins. <laughs> Wait, no, that was another series. <laughs> uh, and so when he shows up to this guild, he's wearing armor from a video game that's made real which means two things one it's more ornate than real armor and two it doesn't have a scratch on it because it comes from 
pre-rendered armor. So he walks in, and everybody's noticing he's you got this guy wearing shiny new armor that looks super expensive, like and nothing anybody could afford. Like, oh, he must be some rich kid. And I just love that little touch because it's from a video game. So it's it's unnecessarily fancy and not a scratch on it because there's no battle damage because it, it was pre-rendered graphics before it became real. Also, he chose one of the battle mates to accompany him, obviously also in a more incognito outfit. And there's, there's like a little amusing tidbit I find funny about her. Which is the fact that, uh, like Pandora's actor, she's uh, she's a shapeshifter. So if she were to revert to her original form, she'd look just like him, aka this shy guy-looking thing with the weird long clawed fingers. But the really funny thing is, like, she doesn't really have much levels in the way of being a shapeshifter. So the the maid girl form that she has. That's she. That's the only shape she can turn into. <laughs> so she just stays that way. Yeah, like Pandora's actor can turn into a whole bunch of different beings and can even imitate their unique abilities, which she normally shouldn't be able to, although only at eighty percent of the power. But since she doesn't really have much levels in shapeshifter in the shapeshifter racial class, she can only turn into that one form. <laughs> But she's technically a shapeshifter, so she fits the theme of the maids, and that's all that her creator needed. Yes. Uh, oh, speaking of the maids, one of my, I think my favorite minor NPC might be the penguin. Oh yeah, the assistant butler. It's like a little yeah. penguin with like curly hair thingies on the side that uh, wants to take over Nazari through cleaning. Yeah. And everybody... Eclair, eclair, eclair. <laughs> and like... Like, he's openly talking about like taking over and usurping eyes and everybody just lets him because that's how his creator made him <laughs> you were yep. created to have that personality so keep on keeping on with that yeah he was he was created by one of the only three mem- female members of Eins all gone we think it was Ankur mochi mochi and she just gave him the setting that he wanted to take over nazarick as a joke <laughs> But because it's in the settings, he actually does want to take over Nazarick. Although he still has like the same reverence and respect for Ainz and the Supreme Beings as everyone else. It's just he wants to eventually like sit on the throne of Nazarick. So the first thing that he does is just clean everything spotless. Like at one point he mentions like he says, when I'm done with the toilets, you can eat off of them. And Demiurge just smiles and is like, you keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Oh yeah, he also at one point tries to be uh tries to be smooth, like when when Shaltier is at the bar trying to drink her sorrows away, even though she's a vampire and therefore can't get drunk. Because she has poison resistance, so she can't get drunk. Yeah. yeah. Like he orders a drink and in order to cheer her up wants to slide it over to her, but because he has a flipper and not a hand, <laughs> the drink just spills over. <laughs> Oh, it's great. It's fucking great. Yeah. Some great characters in this thing. Uh, but yeah, the the Momon stuff it was probably my favorite bits from season one. Um, just the idea that he, he you now have our character who is established as this just god, pretty much, and the, the leader of these people disguising himself as a as an adventurer, trying to hide what he is. How strong he is, even though he's like ridiculously strong, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this guy!" And like, 
even the little things he has to do, like when they're all sitting and eating, he can't eat the food that they made, and neither can Narvel, because they're not human, and he, he's a lich, he doesn't eat. And so they, they make up excuse, like, oh, we, we have a custom as a religious practice where we're from, but we can't eat with people after taking a human life. <laughs> like, it's some weird specific like that. Yeah. And this is also how we learn about the, the this world and the people in it, and we get to know this little adventure group, and I swear to God, the whole time we're learning about them, and they're, like, bonding, I'm sitting here thinking, one of these motherfuckers is going to pull out a picture of his best girl back home. <laughs> these motherfuckers going to die. <laughs> they're, like, going all the same, establishing them, like, look at the colorful cast of characters we have here, and they're all these different kind of archetypical characters, but they're, like, they're lovable, and they have these dreams, and you know, there's, like, a, they're going to die. <laughs> they're one day away from retirement. <laughs> They're gonna fucking die. <laughs> Just and they do. Yeah, horribly. Oh yeah, fucking horribly. Kind of feel bad because you knew they were gonna die, but you didn't know they were gonna die like that. Especially the girl. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers. One's actually a girl. Yeah, she also has a sister. Yeah, and she comes up. Who we who we later get to see? Yeah. Because Sebas rescues her. Hol- but uh, so, suffice to say, her sister has suffered an even worse fate than she did. Which is quite impressive. Yeah. Well, again, I don't know if you say worse. I mean, she's still alive, and she yeah, but and she gets rescued you know. by Sebus, and then yeah, but still yeah, but she that aside, she went through worse shit. The death and life and death thing is up. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that whole thing was just great because again, it's that sort of re-experiencing these characters we know through a whole new lens. And then we, we get Hamsky, which is great. The fucking giant hamster. And then no, but, but it's like no one in this world recognizes this is a hamster. And they <laughs> view it as like this mythical, awe-inspiring beast. And it just fucking yeah. humiliates the shit out of Ainz. It's like, it's a fucking hamster. It's a giant hamster. The, the, the wise king <laughs> of the forest. Yeah, that he names, ha- he, he, he takes as his mount and takes as like a, a, a new member of Nazarene, pretty much like a pet. And names it Hamsky, and he's like riding through the town on this giant hamster, and he feels so stupid. <laughs> he's riding around yeah. on a giant hamster. Where meanwhile, everyone's looking at him like, oh, "That is amazing! What a hero! What an amazing thing!" He's riding, he's tamed this massive and ferocious beast. <laughs> he's yeah. In in the novel, it's uh, he describes it as like being an old man on a merry-go-round. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, ev- everyone else thinks that this this fucking hamster is just the shit and absolutely <laughs> incredible and like even he then asks his uh his battle mate that's with him and it's like what do you think about this because <laughs> everyone's wow it looks so wise and amazing and incredible and she says like leaving aside the str- uh, leaving aside the fact of his strength like his eyes do seem to sparkle with great power <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> Just a hamster. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, so that whole thing was great, especially when we get Clementine, who is like girl terror me, personality-wise. Um, this psycho chick that loves to murder people. And she's like really strong. She's apparently one of the best hand-to-hand fighters, but it don't fucking matter. Like, her fight with Ainz is just... Mwah. <laughs> Her quote-unquote fight with eyes. Oh, it's beautiful. 
The dialogue is just wonderful. And then he hugs her to death. <laughs> yeah. See, how does it feel to fight a sword-wielding magic caster? <laughs> the Christian side hug. <laughs> I love how, with his helmet on, nobody can see his face. So she just keeps trying to stab him through the ice list. Then he takes off the helmet. <laughs> and she freaks out. <laughs> And he just starts talking, and like halfway through, it's like, hold on, this is in the way. And he pulls out the swords out of his eyes. <laughs> he really catches these are in the way. <laughs> really catches just casually. <laughs> and he, and he. Oh, I, I would also like to point out, like, this is just a minor thing, but, um, like Overlord even does representation better than ninety nine percent of the shit that, for instance, Crunchyroll would chill to you. Because there is there is like a, a couple of characters, like one of them is canonically like gay. And he is uh, fucking in love with this other dude. And it's never like overtly stated or anything, but it's still pretty fucking obvious. Yeah, it doesn't show up in your face. And, 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 there's, and there's never like a deal made out of it or anything. It's just part of that guy's character. Yeah, because this is, you know, good fucking writing, so... It's not like, look at my gaze! I'll give me fucking point. Do I get points? How many points do I get for... If I add more gaze, do I get more points? Can I cast these points yeah. in for some prizes? I mean, technically, it's it's even hinted like the first time we we see that guy. Because, uh, like, his whole bandit base where he's initially, before he gets massively owned by Shaltier, who just deflects his super amazing katana with just her friggin' fingernail. Um, in this bandit base that he has, there are no women. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not even, like, keeping any women. Yeah, there are none. Because he's fucking gay. Oh, yeah, motherfucker. See, this show's fucking clever, man. I didn't even catch that. Like, if this this was, like, one of the shows that uh, certain people on Crunchyroll would prefer... Like, his first introductory scene with Shaltier would have been, uh, by the way, do you know that I like the penis, and that I am gay, and also, I have to defeat you because vaginas disgust me because I am gay. <laughs> Did I mention I'm gay yet? <laughs> That's pretty gay, I didn't catch that shit. Yeah. Like, he would, he would probably be running around, like, in that outfit that uh, Archer was wearing when he was... Like in the Asiris Archer. Oh, yeah. God when, he was, when he was trying to infiltrate, like, the two gay guys. Uh, and he did it way over the top in, like, this ridiculously stereotypically gay outfit, which which even said, like, God dick on a, on a t-shirt. <laughs> and that's probably what he would look like. <laughs> Shit, man. If this was more <clears throat> representative. I didn't even catch that. God damn. That's good. That's clever shit. Um, but yeah, the Momon stuff was just fucking fantastic. Like seeing his high level, like like him basically making this impression on people and trying to turn himself into a legend, so that way he would get better work and more money. And so, like people were talking with him in reverence, like when he comes by, like this is like we've we've witnessed the beginning of the story of the Raven, the Raven clad armor warrior, whatever. And we then we see him when we know what he's doing behind the scenes, and this is all basically a a masquerade. This is all like theater to build up this 
character of Momon he's created so that they can get information and money from people. Yeah. Also, so he could reveal himself as Iron Slater and all the affection of Momon would then transfer to him. Yeah. Which isn't quite how his plan works out. Like, different stuff happens, but yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 really cool seeing that, like, how, like we see behind the scenes of these powerful people and their orchestrations, and then we see, like, the, how their theater plays out. And that was one of the things. Oh, by the way, is another really minor amusing tidbit. There's this, um, there's this other nation that's only been shown like in an intermission so far that are being attacked by like this this gigantic cat tribe of people by these demi humans, and they're ruled by uh, by like a female descendant of the dragon lords or whatever, and she also has wild magic, and. Like she has multiple forms, and the forms in which the form in which she appears is the form of a little girl, even though she's pretty old. This is you know the standard anime trope. But the funny thing about it is just the way that it's uh, that they deal with this, because she doesn't like that form and doesn't want to be in it. But at as her advisor points out, since they're currently in a state of war with these beast men people, like her adult uh, her adult form would appeal to men, but not so much to women. So since she's an adorable little girl, everyone will want to protect her, whether they're men or women, and will fight that much harder for her. And the one, like, super high-ranked adamantite adventurer team that they have in their country... Oh yeah, I know, I know what you're alluding to. This is great. Yeah, like, their their leader, uh, like, she's... Um, how did she put it? Like, he basically constantly like, stared at her with lecherous eyes. <laughs> And she and she says like, uh, like what are the like all these guys lolicons? And her advisor says like it really is just like a harmless fetish. Although he really is a lolicon. <laughs> one of those, yeah, because uh, one of the one of the yeah, members is she's also like the little girl and like the adult in a little girl body. And this one I love because it actually addresses that trope realistically. Yeah, exactly. Because she's essentially she stopped growing physically at like twelve or something. Like, she's permanently in the body of a 12-year-old, and she hates it, because she's a woman, mentally. She wants to be a woman. She wants to be seen as a woman. She wants to have a woman's body, and she she does not want... To, and she wants to be viewed as a woman by men. They won't. The only ones that would be interested in her are pedophiles, and she doesn't want anything to do with pedophiles. Yeah, that's actually another character like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the funny thing about that particular queen is she then she then comments about this other adventurer that that keeps staring at her. Like she says uh, she says about him obviously while well, he's not around. Mm-hmm. Uh what was it? Oh yeah, right. If he likes looking at flat things so much, he should just stare at a wall. <laughs> yeah, this show really does uh like take a lot of uh, anime, manga, and light novel tropes and turn it on its ear in some great ways. Like, you really get the sense that the author is not just some media-consuming dork. Like, this is a person that's put actual thought... Like, it, a lot of anime, manga, and light novels almost feel like they're not written by human beings these days. They're just <laughs> written by, like, these autistic guys that just consume and then regurgitate. And this feels like an actual human being wrote this that was, like, thoughtful and, like, thought about the implications of things and what things would really be like and 
new and interesting ways to depict things. Like, this feels like an actual fucking human being wrote this. And that's one of the great things about Overlord. It's, just, it's great in pretty much every way. I can't think of a complaint about Overlord. I can't think of a complaint. Hell, it's even woke. <laughs> in a lot of ways. And we're in the writing and shit. Uh, I, I can't think... Yeah, I can't think of one... Like, well, if I... like Even Spice and Wolf, I, I said, like, my issue is I thought Holo's human form is a little too young. Like, I, I, don't have an, I don't have a complaint with Overlord. It is... Dare I say flawless? Maybe not, like, executed in a way that puts it, like, at Bebop level. But it is technically flawless. And is just goddamn entertaining. Um, watch it. If you haven't watched it yet... Why? Why? There is a great thing that you could have a, a just great time viewing and you're just not doing it? What's wrong with you? Stop listening to this podcast. Go watch Overlord. You can watch it. Fire up. It's on 9 anime. It's on all the fucking... Oh, support the official release. Support the official dick. <laughs> support my official dick. The dub is really good. It's one of the ones Funimation did that they actually gave a shit. As we mentioned before. You can trust them with dubs that they feel like they can make money on. <laughs> um, they, they can market, and this is one of them. This is interesting for the dub. They've actually been hiring a lot of new talent in this show's dub. Like, they're using it as sort of a way to introduce new actors. And they've been getting really good actors, but it's crazy. Ainz is played by a guy that most people knew from Dragon Ball Z Abridged. He did, a, he did Dr. Jiro. In fact, his Ein's voice is the same voice he did for Dr. Jiro. But he's fucking fantastic. He even does, like, the Ein's voice and his inner monologue sound like two different people, but it's the same guy. Which is absolutely perfect, which you want. It should sound like two different people because it's a different voice coming out of his mouth, but it's the same guy. The, the, the English voice actors are fantastic. They do a great job. Even the completely new people. The fucking season two, they hired some fucking YouTube singer or something to play Crush, the white lizard girl, lizard man female. And she did great. Everybody's been doing great. I love some of the voice. The voice of the chief from the lizard man tribe. I loved him. He was great. He was excellent. Excellent casting. Excellent acting. This is if I just wish Funimation were this good all the time and we wouldn't have to bitch. But they're not. But at least they're not fucking up with Overlord. That's all I really ask. Don't fuck up the good shows. You can, you shouldn't fuck up the etchy shows and the garbage shows. But if you're going to fuck up anything, go ahead and fuck those up. So that <laughs> you, we can get good You mean you don't want to hear Intoma talking about Gamergate? <laughs> like, if they were going to do that shit, they would have. Because this is about a fucking video game. Or at least it you know, started as one. That would have actually been pretty incredible. <laughs> So thankfully, could, could you could you just imagine like I'm suddenly spouting woke lines about Durump? <laughs> oh, I think what I... would make this even more what makes this even more hilarious though is just the fact that like, consider what was the first thing that Ainz actually did once he obtained footing in that village he like his tomb appeared near in like once he had friendly relations with them he built a wall. <laughs> He made the goblins pay for it. <laughs> yeah, and he kept making that wall, like, bigger and more reinforced. 
<laughs> Big over the series of the novels. Make Erantel great again. Yeah. At one point, even it's like this discussion of the light novels where he says, like, um, he wants to make the country great. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, and it gets, like, the diplomacy and shit as he, like, actually establishes a kingdom and meets with other ruling mm-hmm. and, and they... You know, they they plot against him and then find out, oh, wait, he's a god. No, I can't do that. <laughs> oh, oh, man, the whole fucking empire plot is absolutely fantastic. Especially as, as Eins keeps outmaneuvering the, the emperor of that nation without even meaning to. <laughs> like, the, the emperor is literally, like, in this, in this cloak and daggers battle and this war of words, as he calls it, uh, against Eins. And Eins, without even realizing that they're, that the, that the Emperor thinks of him as, as like this battle of manipulation or anything like that, without even realizing it or trying to do anything, he just destroys him. <laughs> it's like the Emperor, the Emperor's trying to play Game of Thrones with him and Eins has no idea and he's accidentally winning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the absolute, the absolute best part is then when Without spoiling too much, like at one point, Eins uh, just covertly visits the, uh, like covertly enters the the country of the emperor and just casually visits it, uh, just to do some promotion for his newest project. And just because of the way that he appeared and due to the circumstances, and because he happened to greet the emperor with the guests from the theocracy, he currently happened to have secretly with him. Like they think he's then completely sided with Eins. <laughs> And because of that, the emperor ultimately then gives up and then immediately like says, "Okay, we want to become a vassal state to the sorcerer kingdom." <laughs> and what makes this even better is like near the end of the book, there's this bit where Albedo and uh, Demiurge uh, talk to each other about the the newest developments, and it's revealed like Demiurge had this plan in order to force the force the emperor to become like their subject too. Like to surrender to them, it was essentially like this this really elaborate and clever months like plan that would last for like a month, and like some people would die. There would be like a city attacked, and then Eins could use that as an excuse, and yada yada yada. Like it's super elaborate and really really well planned out. And then Alberto was like, uh, "Oh yeah, they they sent they sent us that they want to surrender and become a vassal state." <laughs> Demi was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> And he's like, how have, what? How did that happen? She's like, oh, Eins has been over there. It's like, oh, he has. How long has it taken? Uh, like, I had this plan that was going to take like a month. And she's like, yeah, it took like three days. <laughs> <laughs> and because that Demiurg has even more respect for him. He's like, this is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. He's such a genius. <laughs> I could never comp- <laughs> Can't even comprehend his thinking. Yeah, which even more hilariously backfires for Eins because of that. The Demiurge's opinion of him is even more elevated. So in the current novel, there's this long scheme that Demiurge has planned that they're trying to pull off in the Holy Kingdom. And Eins has no fucking idea what Demiurge is actually going to do <laughs> because the plan he gave him is only like the, the vaguest outline because Demiurge keeps assuming Eins already knows everything. <laughs> So at one point, Eins even gave him like this back with notes where it says like, "Please elaborate in more detail." <laughs> and Demir is like, "No, I couldn't possibly do this. Like, uh, to impose my plan to such an extent on you, of everything that you come up with is obviously going to be better anyway." 
Oh god, it's so good. Yeah, so Eins is just fighting on the side of the Holy Kingdom for them. He has no idea what he's doing at all. <laughs> and in the meantime, like, Demiurg has been up to his fucking old Mangala business again. Essentially creates, like, demi-human concentration camps. <laughs> oh god, it's so good, people. You really gotta get on this. But yeah, I can I can happily say the dub is really good, so you can watch it in your native tongue. Um, which I would recommend, especially because of the European-esque fantasy setting. It makes a little more sense than everybody speaking Japanese in a clearly European setting. Um, and again, really well acted. Uh, the only one I would say maybe is a little iffy is Gazif. It's not bad. It's just if There's like a couple lines. It's like, eh. A mm, couple deliveries. But otherwise, it's a solid dub. It's a really great dub. And like I said, they're using using it to flesh out some newer talent. I mean, especially because a lot of Funimation's older talent is leaving, so they're kind of in a bind. They need new actors, which is why they're hiring a lot of, like, YouTube actors. Which I, 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 it's easy to make fun of, but that's how their established actors started. I mean, fucking Sean Schimmel is just a tuba player that they pulled off the fucking, he's never acted. He was, he literally just played the fucking French horn for, like, orchestras. And then they just call him, hey, I can do some silly voices. Like, or his friend's like, hey, you can do some silly voices. These guys need you to do silly voices. Why don't you go in an audition? And now he's Goku. So that's how a lot of these guys started. It was fucking nobody. So I can't fault them for that. I, if I, if, and that's why they all got massive egos. Yeah, pretty much. Um, oh my god, can you imagine what these fucking YouTubers are going to be like if they ever become quote-unquote famous? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, I... He, you gotta, and I can bet what their politics are going yeah, to be. Oh, fucking shocker! Um, yeah, I- imagine like the fucking uh, fat Asian dude, <laughs> like his name's like Proz becoming, do something Prozy. Yeah, pause something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> imagine imagine fucking that guy becoming like a, the voice of some sort of famous character. Oh Jesus! Yeah. I can't wait until, like, the official Funimation account retweets Antifa. <laughs> oh, well, it could go either way, because they could also be a little more grateful than a lot of these voice actors are now, because they've been sort of at the bottom and then and, and wanted it and then got it, and so that might give them a little more perspective. We can only hope. Um, I'm not... But again, you gotta... Just don't don't even pay attention. Don't follow them on Twitter. I, th- I think it at least gets me when a lot of people are like, this is why I only watch subs, because dub actors are faggots. It's like, okay, then I guess you imbibe no entertainment. Because this is how this is how the entertainment industry is. 90% of the entertainment you consume is made by fucking faggots. It's just something you, you just deal with. Your favorite actor is insufferable, and probably a molester or something. Um, Unless they're Keanu Reeves. Yeah, who is a pure boy. Um... The, the uh, you just gotta sort of accept the fact that most people in the entertainment industry are assholes. You just you have to separate the art from the artist. You really do. Yeah, I mean, I I really love the pianist, and that was made by fucking Roman Polanski. Yeah, it's or uh, Dance of the Vampires, which is a fantastic movie, which was also made and stars in a major role, Roman Polanski. Yeah. So you hilariously enough, like the the love interest of the main character in that in that movie, which by the way everyone should watch, uh, is Sharon Tate. <laughs> oh dear! 
Yeah. That is a movie whose cast is uh, <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it really is. See, you do you do have to uh, sort of, I guess, enjoy entertainment in any in a sort of vacuum of a. This is just the product. Um, I can understand being upset at the artists, especially when they're someone like Roman Polanski. But this idea that like I'm just never going to watch dubs because of the shit dub actors say, and this is coming from us. I mean. I'm pretty sure there is nobody in the anime scene spotlighting these people and their faggotry as much as anime outsiders. Uh, but even we're like, even we will tell you like, you just you have to just ignore it. You're never going to. And at least the at least the voice actors have not raped anyone yet. Yeah. Uh, I hope anyway. They're just idiots. Like at least with the Hollywood actors, you get the idea that a lot of their politics come from like what they think they're supposed to say. Like, as a sort of cult mentality of, like, believing what you're told to believe by these people so that you can get work and invited to the parties and all that. Yeah, plus the fact that since most people worship the ground you walk on, you tend to get a somewhat inflated opinion of yourself, especially if you constantly play pretend and you're always the hero who is righteous or just the stereotypical bad guy who gets defeated. Like in your, well, I, th- I think it's more acting. Bits, I think it's more of like so. a, a an insecurity. Like it sort of dawns on you that you have all this fame, you have all of this, and all you did to quote unquote earn it was play pretend for a living. Like in a world of firefighters and cops and doctors, you have yeah. more than they ever will, and all you did was play pretend. And yeah, sure, but there there are in fact like sometimes some people that that forget the the line between what they're playing and who yeah. they actually are. Yeah, I mean, look at Sean Schimmel. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, like to to some extent it's it's very difficult if you're like an an actor for a long time, especially if you're a method actor. Yeah. Like at that point it becomes incredibly difficult to fully separate yourself from like what you're doing. And then if you add the fact that they're all living in a bubble and everyone is reinforcing each other's opinions, and oh, everyone is so super talented and smart, and we all have the same opinion, so obviously we must be right and correct. It's basically the same problem that you have in academia, where you have people who are, who have like actual abilities, like in some way or another, and they're all like circle jerking with the exact same opinions. So therefore they conclude, well, we're all great and smart and awesome, and we're all of the same opinion on this, so obviously we must all be right. Yeah. So it's just something you just got to deal with. It's it's, a, it's any entertainment. It is a rare treasure and a treat when a an entertainer, especially a talented one, is either intelligent or just keeps their mouth shut, or is a nice, generally nice person. Like I think it is. A, I, think- I think it is amazing that like the greatest musicians are all cool people, like BT and Devin Townsend and all them. Like that. That's that's just amazing to me. Like, especially if, if people of their talents should be faggots. It just feels like that's that's how life should be, so I, that that is that is fortunate that they are decent, good people, and BT's kind of woke. Um, but you know, I think I remember reading once that Ayn Rand at one point like wrote some some scripts for Hollywood. Yeah, like which is apparently the reason why she said that Hollywood is infested with communists, <laughs> which is well, true. Yeah, it was. Um, which is fucked up now because was and yeah. is, but like you, you look back then at like the the communists and like oh, it was McCarthy how terrible and yes McCarthy was terrible but what he was also yeah, he was right. also right <laughs> holy shit, um, but yeah it's just people it's just you got to deal with it. 
it's it, i think a lot of the anime scene is you know it's it's kids it's or it's people that have lived in an entertainment bubble they have an and imbibed a lot of an, uh, entertainment that hasn't been like imported from japan so they're not quite so used to it but it's just you just gotta you make fun of them you, cl- you call them out you mock them but it doesn't mean that you can't like consume any entertainment they're a part of because then you're not gonna be able to consume fucking anything Essentially, if a ho- if a meteor struck Hollywood tomorrow, the world would be a much better place. <laughs> Even if you were to completely agree with all of their politics, you would have to admit that at least a lot less children would be raped. Yeah, holy shit. Uh, but I was saying before, like the Hollywood people, I don't think buy into hundred percent of their politics that they spout. But the voice actors do. These are people that have been influenced by those actors. And they are basically like the standalone complex. Yeah. By the way, can we mention that DC Douglas is literally insane? Oh yeah, we're gonna do a video on that guy. He is absolutely fucking insane. He is like our new favorite locale. He's amazing. Yeah. I love him. <laughs> that man is legitimately deranged. That could yeah. be an episode on its own, though. Yeah, well, we're got working on that video, and I'm trying to find ways to do it because we have so much information on this guy. I I don't know where to start. You could do like a fucking ten. I'm not even exaggerating. You could like a ten a ten part video series on this guy. There's so much. Yeah. Part one. Fuck you, Dad. Yeah, it's insane. He, there's uh, knowing what I know about DC Douglas, I almost kind of feel pity for him. Like he's a. I assume the D stands for Daddy Issues. <laughs> the D stands for Damn. That's one broken man. Uh, yeah. DC Douglas is just there's 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 something diagnosable about him that has just gone unchecked and unmedicated, um, and he is like uh, venting it through his politics. He has fucking problems. He's probably got some kind of autism, and I know we we throw around autism a lot, but like when you think it's a good idea to masturbate to completion at an audition, when you could have just mimed it. <coughs> Because it was part of the audition. He, he he was supposed to play a guy that got caught masturbating. He thought it was a good idea because I think he doesn't know social norms to actually uh, go do it in his pants. And then he fucking jizzed in his pants at an audition. <laughs> oh my God. And then he admitted this. Because again, I don't think he knows social norms. So he thought this was a good idea to share. Yeah. By the way, I would like to point out... Before anyone tries to, oh, also real quick, the... before I, because I'll I'll forget it if I if I let you finish. Another reason I think he might have autism is because he's not a very good facial actor, which is probably why he does more voice work when he he can't hide his emotions in his face, which he should be able to do as an actor, but he can't. So when he makes like little videos to people on Twitter when he's clearly mad at them, oh, God. and he mugs in a way, but you see the rage in his face. Like, the silent rage in his face, like, an actor shouldn't have that problem, but he, as you know, autistic people can't really fucking emote in the face, which would explain why most of the uh, work he gets in live-action acting is fucking asylum movies, and he mostly does voice work. Because he can't, he can't work with his face very well. Uh, anyway, as you were saying. Yeah, what was I saying? I don't know, I cut you off very wrong. <laughs> Fuck. Something about DC Douglas, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, it was, um, goddamn, what was it about? This is gonna bug me now. Because we're about to end this episode soon, if you can't think. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to figure it out, just give me a second here. Because, uh, yeah, so we got so much info in him, I have to figure out how we're gonna structure this, because I don't want to spend the next several years editing, I have other shit that I do. <laughs> um, so I gotta figure out a way to streamline this process. 
um, because there's too much. Every there's, I I cannot convey to you. I think we might have to like make a torrent available of all the shit that we have. As sort of like you know, here's the gist of DC Douglas. Here's everything else in this handy torrent. Like it's insane. I mean, let me see. Let me see if I can pull up real quick the folders I have on DC Douglas. Okay, there are one. These are just the folders within the main folder, and each of these folders have um, assortment of information on one topic. We have. I just remembered what it was. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, as I was gonna say. To preempt this before anyone tries to pull the excuse with the whole masturbating thing. Like, oh, he was actually just kidding. That was just a story he invented. I want you to realize what you're essentially saying if you try to pull this defense. Like, if you're saying he was just joking and was just trying to fuck with people, then, okay, yeah, fine. Then he didn't actually masturbate in front of people. Instead, he invented a story about him masturbating in front of people and then acted like it was real and told people about it. So in other words, he was just pretending to be retarded. <laughs> I don't think that's much better. Now here are the just the amount of folders that we have. Those 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 folders worth of material. Here are some of the names. Water sports... Method acting, hypocrite, girlfriend, general creepy, drug usage, depression, D-bag, daddy, convos with dad, AO incidents, animals, weird, stupidity, rave, and uh, did I say hypocrite? Oh, here's one. Feet. So that should give you an idea of some of the shit that we have on this guy. He's fucking lunatic. He is a fucking lunatic. Not he's fucking lunatic. Uh... So, yeah, look forward to the DC Douglas video in the next 10 years when I finally figure out how I'm going to fucking do this, because I don't even know. Uh, I'm going to probably have to get Slack involved. Uh, I can't believe, when I started AO, I did not think we were going to compile a fucking A-team research staff and end up having, like, this kind of thing that we'd be doing? Like, end up becoming, like, investigative journalists? I never saw that shit coming. But hey... It's fucking fun. <laughs> it's good to shake yes. shit up. So yeah, in conclusion, uh, fucking watch Overlord. I'd recommend the dub. It's a great dub. Uh, yes, I know Funimation's evolved. I know it's a sore spot for a lot of people, but they did good on this one. You just you can pirate it. That way you you get you get your cake and eat it too. Uh, yep. So uh, anyone else want to add anything before we go? Nope. Buy the novels. <laughs> buy them. Yeah, that. Buy the novels. So from all of us here at the other side, I'm pretty by. I'm Max Vader. I'm Andrew Erickson. Saying, all oh, Gloria, I'm Zool Gone. <laughs>